tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today on this Monday morning, 1800-938-007. A free phone number, won't cost you to make a call, and Emma is producing today. Coming up on the show this morning, the IFA are to protest that they feel a fall thinking uh, this morning at the Horse and Jockey Hotel, and uh, Ali will be there for us in just uh, a little while. What would you think of a reality TV show where politicians live like normal people? Well, we'll discuss that in just a little while as well. We have global politics with uh, Thomas Conway, and Thomas will look at uh, the dreadful tragedy that has happened in uh, Morocco over the weekend as well. For this week's Walks and Talks, John G and Ali are in Arlow, and Neil Dennehy will be with us in studio to discuss spinal issues. So all of that and much, much more on the way. A quick look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. The Irish Examiner is dominated by uh, a picture of a very distressed-looking Stephen Kenny and John O'Shea after last night's uh, European Championship qualifying match against the Netherlands at the Aviva in uh, Dublin. And, uh, of course, as you know, despite taking an early lead, the boys of green were eventually uh, beaten by uh, the Dutch. So, again, uh, uh, Mr Kenny, I suppose, facing a rather uncertain future. On the examiner today, and another worrying story, more than 850 posts are vacant in Tusla, including senior positions at national and local levels. And among the vacancies are 340 social work roles, um, 244 social care positions and 162 administration uh, jobs there again. So much worry on that. And another interesting story on the examiner today. Politicians and the public must take their emotions out of the nuclear energy debate and seriously consider building power plants here uh, in Ireland. And that's according to MEP uh, Billy Kelleher, the Cork uh, politician. He's hit out at the government for continuing to dismiss nuclear as an option. And he said that uh, the current laws which prohibit nuclear-powered electricity generation plants should be revisited. I have a funny feeling that that would not go down too well with the majority of Irish people. But I don't know, maybe you want to share with us where that is concerned as well. Um, Many photographs across the uh, newspapers uh, today as well, depicting just the tragedy and the awfulness and the loss of life in uh, Morocco. Um, It appears now that the death toll will exceed 2,100 after that devastating uh, earthquake. Also on the Irish Times uh, today, the central bank is facing a pushback from lawyers and company directors against sweeping powers to impose new sanctions against individuals for misconduct, uh, misconduct even, in the financial sector. Also, and it's something we discussed on the programme last week, and in fact a lot of our listeners were advocating that this would happen, but road safety lessons for Leaving Cert students are being considered by the Minister for Education. The Irish Daily Mail, an elderly mother and her son said to be steeped in their community, died in a fire at their home at the weekend. Mother of four, Kathleen Lynch, who was in her 80s, and her son Michael, 53 died after their home caught fire shortly before 2am on Sunday morning. And finally, a look at the Irish Independent. And again, it's on 
mental health. More than half of the children and teenagers referred to their local child and uh, adolescent mental health services, that's CAMS of course, in certain parts of the country are being refused access, can you believe? And it comes as more than 4,000 children referred to the services this year were not accepted by the HSC. Now, if you want to uh, make comment on any of that, we'd love to hear from you. 083 311 Now, TikToker Alan Clark posted a very funny video online during the week. He made the suggestion that all politicians and uh, TDs should live like a regular person for three months and see how they get on for a reality TV show. Here's a little of what he had to say. I've got a mega idea for a brand new reality TV show that's going to boost the ratings on RTE and encourage people to pay their TV licence. Hear me out. For three months, every TD in the country will have to live like a regular Joe or Josephine and complete weekly tasks. Viewers will tune in to see if they can complete these weekly tasks, like finding a place to live, standing in a queue for six or eight hours to view a show house, and then beg a landlord to take an extortionate amount of money on a weekly basis. It's week two and Josephine has to bring her sick elderly mother to A&E on a Friday evening. What she doesn't know is she'll sit there until Monday evening. Is she up for the task? Tune in to find out. It's week three and Joe has had no reply from that house he went to view and he's struggling to find accommodation. But this week, we're going to increase the price of fuel. So Joe is going to find it very hard to put fuel in his car when we take his expenses away from him. Time now to head back and check in with Josephine. Josephine has just spent three days in A&E and now she's home with deep anxiety about the postman driving into her driveway. The postman is going to deliver a car insurance renewal letter which is going to be extortionate along with a little sting in the tail. We're going to whack up her ESB bill by 70 euros this month. It's week four and Joe still has no place to live. He opens the newspaper and reads an article about the government potentially putting 750 refugees into tents in Strad Valley. And he thinks to himself, but where will these people live for the winter? Because I can't even find accommodation. It just doesn't make sense. On the next page, he'll see a beautiful modular housing estate in County Sligo. And he'll say to himself, maybe I can build a modular unit in my parents' back garden. Oh, we'll send Joe on a wild goose chase looking for planning permission for a modular unit in his parents' back garden. This week is Josephine's birthday, so we're going to ask her to treat herself by going to a concert in Dublin on a Saturday night. But what Josephine doesn't know is from midnight last night, we increased the price of fuel, hospitality, her hotel, restaurant, even the ticket price to the gig is all more expensive than it was last week. Joe still can't find a place to live, so he's exploring sites in the local area. To find an affordable one, he'll have to travel 75 minutes away. He'll apply for planning permission, but we'll turn him down because he's not from the local area. Welcome back to the season finale. At this stage, there's no guards, there's no doctors, there's no nurses, there's no place to live, there's no prospect, there's no hope. We're going to slip a newspaper underneath their door and the headline is going to be the government are looking for another 14 TDs at a cost of 3 million. Let's watch as Joe and Josephine go right right over the edge. Who has what it takes to see it out to the end? Now, we were alerted to that piece by Peter Ryan, and Peter is a regular contributor to the show, and he joins me now. Peter, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, uh, Peter. Tongue very much in cheek there with Alan Clark, but he certainly hits some very interesting ideas, does he not? I think it's, it's absolutely brilliant, because he's, he's read the finger on the pulse completely. And it's so everything, everything he said there, it was funny, but just true, like, you know. So it's, um, it was really, it really, when I looked at it, I really caught, it was sent to me actually as well, that really caught my attention, you know, when uh, when I received it and I looked at it. But it's so true, every bit of it. So 
can you? And like yeah. you say, RTE need a, need to get their ratings up a bit, and um, TDs need to wake up to what's going on. So I think it's a great idea for us. I'm not sure how um, TDs would feel about taking part uh, in in this, but it would be very interesting because, of course, so many of our listeners over the last while, Peter, you know, making the point that maybe. Uh, we're in the situation that we're in because um, sometimes public representatives are completely removed from reality and the difficulties of just ordinary people's lives. Yeah, totally, Fran, because, um, well, just say, for example, I think most TDs probably have children. Most TDs have kids in school, kids in um, in college and that. Like, uh, the first kids in, in ordinary school, the yeah. roads are completely chock-a-block and, and, and uh, we cares and stuff, hauling them to school mm. when we don't have a proper bus service we don't have have the, a proper way of getting our kids to school without having um, um, 40, 50, 60, 100 cows uh, pulling up at a small little school every morning just to drop off one child or two like you know and to go on to the college mm. my own college now my own daughter now she's starting her third year in Limerick today and she's on the road so I hope she's safe mm. but she has to drive she can't get accommodation and this is the third year in a row she can't get accommodation. So she'll, she'll commute every day? She has to commute every day. Wow, Peter, wow. And and that is, thank God now, she's full licence. But, well, the last two years before she had that, there was, she used to have someone to care with her. Of course, yes. And then the worry so, of people on the road, Peter, as well. You know, and that's the biggest thing yeah. I've heard of it, like, because you are worried when they're on the road. And they're on the road at, you know, the busy times. And it's 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 not... It's not something that you actually, every parent worries when their kids go out on the road, you know. So, uh, to me, like, we, like you said in that video there, like, the, the, all the refugees and in, in, gone into tents. Yeah. Like, when the weather changes, where are, where are they going to go then? Well, I, I don't know, because they tell us that they'll only be in those tents for a period of six weeks. But I'm just wondering, what, what do they do after six weeks to yeah, get more accommodation, yeah, you, you know? Like, if we can't get even um, accommodation for kids in college and school and that, yeah. uh, and houses for the for the young people. Like I see a sign post up for a house for sale over the weekend there in a place. And every time I passed, there was a car pulled up. I started looking in, like, uh, you know, probably trying to see, can we afford this house? Can we get a mortgage for this? Can we get a house to start off our lives? But yeah, and, and, and there, the, you know? the, the other piece there that um, just just made me think that we haven't sort of spoken about it in quite some time is you know if you're from a rural area and you're trying to build a house on a, a family farm or something now you know it's it's quite difficult to get we, planning permission we, isn't we, it? We spoke about this two years ago yeah. we spoke about 12 months ago um, and then going back to being personal again my own young fellow he had to prove that he went to the local national school he had to get written confirmation from the principal of the school to prove that he actually went to school there. And we lived in the village all our life. And he was born and raised in the village. And he works in the village. And he works, you know, and then he had to prove he, he was involved in some sort of um, either a GA or um, historic society or some something in the village to get oh to, to get pen permission. And uh, like, uh, all of this is on a form of some kind, is it? Uh, that, yes, yeah. it's all on a form. It's, oh just, it's just crazy. And like for somebody making up these forms and send them out. And, like, if you actually can't prove that you're working, if, if any of your kids uh, were working away now, uh, they couldn't prove that they had some connection back home, even though you could give them a size or you could set them up, 
in a site, they can't, they won't be allowed to build. It's no, like, wonder, it's no wonder people are so cross, you know. Because... Of course they're cross, but that's why this thing is funny. If you put, if you put every TD, if you brought them back to ordinary people's wages, mm. uh, make them pay for their own uh, diesel and petrol or whatever's going to work like we all have to do, and and put them all back where the rest of us are, and leave them there for six months. Then the next time they go, I'll go back into power. I've no doubt things would change. Could I put the argument to you that's always made against that? Um, and the argument, I, I'm just going to sum it up as far as my, my poor old brain cells can come up with this morning. Yeah. But the argument normally is that unless you pay... Uh, politicians extremely well. You will only get the elite being able to be politicians because they have some private income behind them. So you won't have ordinary people emerging as politicians. Does that make any sense to you? Mm, no. No. Not at all. No. Like, I think politicians, like our, our political system, it was if you were either born into Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, or one of the parties, and you became a politician from that real, we'll say, commitment or love to that section or that party or whatever. Maybe that has changed a bit over the last number of years now that um, the new parties coming up, those new people come up with different ideas and putting themselves forward. But um, every politician, the money is there for them to, to run if they want to because the, the support is out there, the sponsorship is out there. You know, yeah. So I don't think that's an issue at all. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, as I say, Alan Clark's piece there, very much oh. tongue-in-cheek. I mean, is there any way you think that a TV station would take on making a, a programme like that? I, the difficulty would be getting, getting politicians to agree to live on modest incomes for the three months and see how it works out. Well, we'll say three months would be... Three months would be no good anyway, friend, because did you ever try to ring an insurance company or any government party or any government um, um, offices about anything to take you three months to get through? So we'd have to increase it, I'd say, to three years with the way things are going at the moment, friend, you know. Do you think so? Can I ask you, just before I let you go, Peter, the think-in for Fianna Fall is happening in the Horse and Jockey Hotel today. IFA will be protesting outside of it. We'll be going live there in just a little while. What do you make of the think-ins, do you think? Is there anything... To them, or uh, there, there will be, I suppose, another get together for a bit of a crack because they're all in holidays for the last couple of months there now. So I suppose they need to introduce one another to themselves again uh, before they go back to Dublin. And as far as Fianna Fáil, like two fairly senior um, people in it um, disagreeing on this one issue, like you know, they have sort the farmers down the down yeah. the Swanee or in this latest in this latest European. Um, thing like you know the irrigation the of the thing, nitrates and all yes, of that yeah. yes they mm. have sold them there, yeah. there and we were told last week when we needed an extra 14 TDs yeah. and then they come back from there and tell us oh we don't have any say in this so why do we need more TDs if we have no say in what's going on anyway so they need to make up their mind about that like you know but all these thinkings they are just another another get-together for the boys that's all All right, Peter really good to talk to you as always Peter thanks for taking your call this morning thank you and bye-bye to you now that's uh, Peter let's go to uh, Donal on this as well Donal, good morning to you Good morning, Fran, and good morning to your listeners. Uh, great to talk to you today. I think you might have had a chance to listen to that piece as well from Alan Clark What what did you make of it, Donald? Well, no, uh, Fran it's quite fascinating Um, 
put it this way. I, I'm firmly convinced that uh, all of our politicians should not only be put on normal wages, but they should be put on social welfare for six months and wow. see how they get on. Wow. Because they are in a kind of a, a rarefied atmosphere. The minimum rate for them is about 100 grand a year plus expenses. Mm-hmm. And no mere mortal out in the rest of the country is on that kind of money. And they just don't understand the living expenses and the stress and the reality of life out there as well. But Donald, but haven't they I, all haven't they all got clinics and they have people coming into them surely all of the time and you know explaining their difficulties I suppose and explaining how the cost of living is affecting them and all of that does that hold anything for you? Not really, friend, because whilst they do have clinics and all that, they don't seem to be listening and they don't seem to be absorbing what they're being told because they're certainly not doing anything about it. Yeah, there's no action. Like, I'm fully convinced that when politicians go into Dáil Éireann, the first thing they abandon on the door on the way in is their conscience, and then their brain seems to go out of gear. It's a bit like an old car with a slip and clutch. There's no attraction. You know? And yeah. it, it, it seems to get worse as they, if they achieve ministerial office, then they, they become completely redundant altogether. Nothing at all happens. Well, you see, I, I think people may go into politics and they may have the very, very best of intentions and they may be passionate and all of that. And then they land into this slow-moving machine that is kind of, you know, it's trudging along well, there and, you know, it's... You see, the, the, the party political machine, unfortunately, has only one interest, and that is to get people elected. Mm. Because there doesn't seem to be any plan, either short-term or long-term, to get the country to right at all. It seems to be what will win the next general election. That's grand. And then we'll work from there. But that doesn't really work in reality, as we can see, because as some of your callers have mentioned already, there's problems with housing, health, education, you name it. Cost of living, energy, everything seems to be bearing down on... uh, Normal working people. I mean, the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, will often go on about, oh, the, the squeezed middle. But mm-hmm. he seems to forget entirely the crushed bottom, where most people are, where all the the, the weight falls on. Yes, the very, and, very and, the, the, and the, I agree with you. There's very little talk about those people, really, you know? No, we don't seem to matter. Yeah. Because maybe some people at that don't vote at all, and as such, they're not going to be considered. But I can tell you one thing. There's a, a, a rising swell of anger uh, in the community. Is there, Donald? Do you really believe Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I'm convinced of it. Because myself and my friends, we talk about politics and health and all that sort of stuff as we go along. And, say, people who were in, say, marital difficulties and who were maybe minus a home, minus an income... Mm so many things that are going on out there in society and there doesn't seem to be any concrete plan to put things to right. And what do you think of one of the government parties today, uh, Fianna Fáil, at the Horse and Jockey Hotel in Tipperary with a think-in today and tomorrow now where they throw around um, all that you've mentioned there, housing, health, education, all of that, and maybe come up with some visions or some solutions. Do, do you have well, any, any thoughts about that? 
I'm afraid now the vision might be conjured up through some sort of alcoholic haze when they go into these sort of rarefied atmospheres uh, where they have these little knees up and thinking. Think it's a, a social sort of occasion, is it? Or it is a you scratch my back, I scratch your back sort of effort. Like, you know, because nothing will happen out of that at all. That's only all nonsense. Um, we, we hear from carers on, on this programme all the time. We try and give them as much of a platform as we possibly can because, I mean, carers are forgotten about time and time again, would you? You're would absolutely you? right, Ben. Yeah. They're, they're, to- they're totally forgotten about because yeah. they're one of the backbones of the community. Um, carers actually, at the moment, from what I'm, I'm reading anyway, um, are saving this government at least £10 billion a year mm. in costs. Yeah. But they're not being adequately rewarded. Uh, the rate of pay that they're getting is derisory. Um, you'll have governments then who uh, extend the care support grant by a measly amount every so often, and they think it's a great thing. Mm. But there's no actual proper rate of pay for that kind of work. No, and when when uh, you become a carer, mm. you you begin a fight, a lifelong fight, then which is making phone calls. But you're, 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 you fight with everybody. Yeah. you become like yeah. a, a kind of a gorilla in your own in your own little world because everything is a struggle. It's mm. a struggle to get made to be if you're a carer on the move, and you, the company that you're working for isn't paying you for your for a fuel allowance because some of them don't. Yeah. To be quite honest, and they expect you to beam over like the Starship Enterprise from one location to the next miraculously. Like, it's, it's pure nuts. It's, it's, but uh, they're actually being allowed to get away with it. Well, Donald, it was great to talk to you today and we will see if that idea from Alan Clark um, uh, bears fruit in some way. You know? <laughs> well, well, hopefully, uh, well, no, I, I can't see politicians rushing to participate, shall we say. I don't, don't think say. so. I don't think but so. perhaps they could be, well, compelled or encouraged to do so. It might be very so, interesting. Yeah, maybe a representative <laughs> from each party or something like that. You never know. Yes, yeah, so, a kind of a, a reality TV sort of effort, like, you know, yeah. where we shove them into a house for... Uh, six months and see how they get on. They don't kill each other, of course. <laughs> well, I, I'd watch it anyway, that's for sure. Donald, look after yourself. Gurmila Mahagad, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Brian. Good thank morning. You. Bye bye. Now, Donald's speaking to us there. Now, the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party, as I said, gathering as we speak at the Horse and Jockey Hotel for a two day meeting. Now, farmers will protest there this morning in frustration, I suppose, over the cut to the nitrates uh, limits. Our Ali is there for us this morning, and I think she's with IFA President Tim Cullen now. Good morning to you, Ali. Yeah, good morning, Fran. I'm here just outside the horse and jockey this morning. The farmers are gathering, the tractors are being parked right outside the door, so uh, TDs and ministers here who are attending can be in no doubt of the IFA's intentions this morning. And I'm joined here by IFA President Tim Cullinan. Tim, tell us about your decision to protest here this morning. Yeah, I suppose, look, this has been building for quite a while and for the last three and a half years I've been negotiating with the Minister uh, with this government and you know, there comes a point in time we believe now, our Minister in particular I think he has let down farmers it's fair to say this morning, look and, and these are harsh words but this is the reality and I suppose, and there's a couple of key points and the first one obviously is the delay in the payments coming out this year, you know, we have an ANC and we have a BIS payment, the farmers are due at this point in time and uh, being delayed for anything up to month. I think there's no other sector in society with stand for their income and this is farmers' income being delayed and you know, we're at the time of year when obviously a lot of bills had to be paid, fertiliser bills, energy bills tax bills and you know, children going back to school. So huge concern there and uh, the second point is obviously the way and the absolute mess 
that has been made of this nitrous irrigation. And you know, what's so frustrating for me is we put a very, very credible proposal to this minister to take back to the EU Commission, to take back into his own department. And, you know, it has fallen on deaf ears. And that is very worrying for me because, as we know, the implications of a reduction from 250 kilos organic N to 220 will have devastating effects on a number of farmers. And, you know, we're here in the heart of Jockey this morning, the heart of farming land here in Ireland. And what this means in income for a farmer with 100 cows, it could mean anything in money, in sales of between 30 to 40 thousand or net income per year of fourteen or fifteen thousand per year, a substantial quarter in anyone's income. So what what I'm asking this minister is, and I think we're all very aware at this point in time, he had he had relayed to me last week that he was going to have a meeting with the commissioner dealing with, with this and it transpired it was only a video call and like for such a serious matter to have a video call is not good enough so what I'm clearly saying and I will be saying to this minister here today he needs to get back out to Brussels he needs to explain to the commission the excellent system, the grass based system we have here in Ireland, it's unique it's second to none in the world and he needs to get officials from the EU commission over here to Ireland and we want to explain to them and show them what our farmers are doing in the heart of the Golden Vale and here in Tipperary and every other county here in Ireland as well. So that's what I'm asking the Minister on, on the nitrates. But I think equally important is he needs to press the button this week, press send, get that money out this week. I'm very clear in that. And I suppose, look, we have a lot of other concerns as well. He launched uh, a suckler cow scheme only in the last two weeks and again we clearly told the Minister this was the very wrong thing to do where a farmer has to spend 12 euros to get 15 euros and what the Minister is doing here is amalgamating disease eradication into payments to keep farmers working. You see sheep here in front of us here this morning, the sheep sector. For over a year now we've been saying to the Minister there's serious concerns around the sheep sector. He hasn't listened to us there and obviously the tillage sector, we know the, the, the summer and the weather we, we've had our tillage farmers had to deal with over the year, this year and uh, a lot of concerns there in particular around the CAP and how tillage farmers has lost out in, in the most recent cap reform and I suppose the other point I will make is all of these schemes now have become so uh, complicated and uh, so difficult to follow that farmers now are using consultants or planners or whoever to to fill in these applications for them because they're afraid if they make one mistake again they will lose money and the biggest threat farmers have now is a Department of Agriculture fishing walking onto their farm. They would prefer to see a taxman or a guard walking onto their farm rather than a Department of Fish. And that's a sad thing to have yeah. to say, but it's the reality because they know he's going to find a mistake somewhere and um, and they'll be punished. And, and they'll be punished. Can I put two things to you? The main issues you're here for today, the nitrates and also the late payments. When it comes to the late payments, the minister has said himself that he gave warning back in March that these payments would be late. So this isn't unexpected. What's your reaction to that? That's, I, I do not uh, or accept that at all. The minister knew this cap reform is going on. Uh, it sure started in 2014. I mean, this was finalised. Our cap strategic plan went to Brussels at the end of last year. Here we are. Sure, it's nearly the end of the year again. And nothing done. I don't accept that at all. 
at all. When it comes to the nitrates then, he said that Ireland is unique in a European perspective in that we have the most flexible guidelines when it comes to nitrates in Europe. Would you accept that? Well, what I will, what I will accept is our system of production is different here in Ireland. As I said already, we have a grass-based system that is unique in Europe. There's no other country in Europe producing milk or beef the way we do. Simple facts is the cows walk out into the field in the morning, they graze the grass, they come back in for two-thirds of the year or three-quarters of the year. That's what our cows do in Ireland. Where there's a different system where the cows are housed across Europe. It's a unique system. We have proven, we've taken on dairy farmers our beef farmers in derogation have taken on 30 measures since 2018. 30 measures. And the one thing we need here is time to, to allow all of these measures to, to um, have an impact. We've seen it with the, with the emissions. We accept it. And I came out a year and a half ago on behalf of our members to say we will work with a 25% reduction in emissions. We're doing that. We're doing all of these things. But look, we're not staying inside around the table any longer because you know, we've put credit proposals, as I said, to this minister. He's not listening, and that's why we're here on the Heart and Jockey Day. And finally, I want to appeal to the farmers in Tipperary here in particular this morning to get out here to the Heart and Jockey. We're here all day today. We'll be here all day tomorrow. And we're, this campaign then is moving to Limerick where Fine Gael have their thinking next Friday. We'll be there all day next Friday and we'll be there all day next Saturday until this minister wakes up and realises that there's a serious problem in Irish farming and I say this to Antonishta, Michal Martin is here today, we're at the thinking here now the Fianna Fáil thinking in the horse and jockey I'm saying to the Tánishta he needs to wake up here as well and realise Irish farmers are standing up now and we're not this, we won't relinquish this campaign until we see results from our minister and our government. I know the minister is here. He's been here since last night. Has he come to talk to farmers yet and are you hoping he will? Look, I don't think there's, much, there's not much point in the minister coming out here this morning and saying what he has been consistently saying. No, I was... I was on RT with this minister yesterday. He refused to get into a head-to-head debate. I laid out my stall yesterday and I was very disappointed again with his response. I hadn't an opportunity to respond to that. But look, what I'm clearly saying here this morning, if the minister comes out with the same rhetoric again this morning, it will not be accepted by the farmers here in Torles. Okay, Tim, I appreciate that. Thanks for talking to us this morning. And what I'll do, Fran, is I'm going to go around now and I'm going to meet some of the farmers here because a number of them gathered a big group and more and more are arriving all the time. Um, and as I'm passing here, there's also a trailer full of sheep with a sign on it saying, Save Our Sheep Sector, IFA, your association, uh, your voice. So I'm just going to approach a couple of gentlemen here. Could I ask you, where are you from? Um, from Kildare there, a little place called Moon. And what brings you here today? It's twofold. The minister's delayed our payments and he's also destroying my income as a young dry stock farmer. Um, it's we've had lots of battles with the minister but he's never paid attention and he's destroying he's absolutely destroying the full-time dry stock or full-time progressive farmer productive farmer he's no respect for us and it's about time he's called out on it would you be hoping he'd come out and speak to farmers today it's it'll be a disgrace on him if he doesn't come out and face us we we've tried to negotiate him for months on end we've been giving him people might give out to about how you we've given him a probable and plausible ideas and how to counteract and work with us and we'll all come to a common solution and he hasn't listened to us so he's going to have to come out and listen today. Okay, thanks for talking to me this morning. Uh, I'm just going to approach a couple more here. Hi guys, can I ask you where are you from? Locally here from Nakavilla. Nakavilla and yourself? Clonalty Rossmore. And what brings you here today? The, the nitrate irrigation, like the livelihood of 
our farms are under threat. It's important that we make our voices heard in this. Where it's been, we're being, we're being thrown under the sacrificial. And to not enter their sacrificial altar, therefore the environmentalists and this kind of thing, and and, uh, and we're doing so many things to try and mitigate these these, these problems through, through water quality. We've done everything we've been asked, and we're still being thrown 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 in front of the bus because this minister couldn't get his act together, try and solve the issue or get it um, sorted. So we're here to have our voices heard on that issue. Now we saw some footage as well last week from the protest outside the Department of Agriculture offices, and I think what what caused a lot of attention was the reaction to ICMSA members who were entering the building for, for the meeting and they were called scabs by members of the IFA. Uh, what's your reaction to that? Is that something you stand by? Know, not necessarily, but I can understand the anger there. There's a, the IFA were trying to take a stand against that meeting and that for another farm and organisation not to stand with them in that issue, it was a bit disappointing, but I wouldn't really condone them yeah. calling things like that now. So, you know. Do you think this is the, the prime time for unification or, or for all farming organisations in the country to be united? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the, the impacts of this are going to be felt by every sector of agriculture, so it's, it's, it's very important to stand together on it. And there's going to be very wide impacts for the, for the rural economy as well, in terms of jobs uh, and all the money that's spent through agriculture, so absolutely, yeah. Okay, great to talk to you this morning. Thank Thanks a million. So that's it from Horse and Jockey Fran. Uh, I'd say about probably 50 farmers here. I count about eight tractors. There's also a hay trailer set up for speeches later on in the day. So as Tim Cullinan was telling us, this protest will continue continue throughout the day and into tomorrow as well. So what the political reaction to this protest will be will certainly be interesting and we'll be here to watch it. That's for sure. Ellie, thank you very much indeed. A good morning to you. That's our own Alison Highland there out and about for us this morning at the Horse and Jockey Hotel. The uh, thinking, the Fianna Fáil thinking is happening there. And uh, as you heard, IFA uh, protesting outside of uh, the venue there. Now, we were supposed to have Michal Martin on with us uh, first thing this morning, but we heard that he's not arriving in Tipperary, in fact, till about 12 noon, so that's no good to us. But we will speak to him tomorrow morning, I hear, uh, just coming out of 9 o'clock news, so we're looking forward uh, to that. If there's something in particular, I mean, we have all the usual stuff planned, but is there something in particular that you think we should be putting to Michal Martin tomorrow, the Taunishta? Uh, we'd love to hear from you on that. Uh, 083 311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. My old friend Thomas Ryan on uh, to uh, say thank you to everybody who helped out yesterday um, at the Clanmel Remembrance Walk. And uh, I was following it on social media, Thomas, and I believe it was a great success. So well done to everybody involved, including yourself, on the, um, uh, paying tribute to so many people uh, yesterday. And uh, yeah, and uh, well done to everybody involved in that. Now, we spoke to Martina last Thursday, and during the course of our conversation, she paid tribute to uh, the local link service, the transport service, and she said what a, what a great service it is. But Noel was in contact with us following the conversation, and he joins me now. Noel, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. You have some reservations <coughs> about the service, Noel. Would you explain them to me? Um, I'm not for or against it. I'm just uh, wondering what the listeners are thinking. Mm. Like, um. I was saving a bit of talk for my sins down there in Littleton lately. Don't tell him, Ryan, that I, won't, now, say, I anyway. won't say a word, no. 
But anyway, I had okay to be passing down through Littleton there. Yeah. And um, normally I wouldn't be on that road, but every every time I went up and down, I seemed to meet a local link bus. Hmm. Right? Yeah. And um, I was just thinking then below foot and down, you'd be thinking of queer things. And um, I was thinking of all the shops that were in Littleton down the years and all that, like, and all the shops that are gone and, like... And then we've, well, there's one shop there now near the school, like a nice little shop there. And um, then you see the local link bus pulling in and maybe taking probably, I see 10, maybe 10 customers going away on the bus. I'm not saying they shouldn't be going. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it would be nice to go to the country and get an old day in town, like for, you know, to get out of the house or whatever. But um, I'm just wondering, like, what do the listeners think about it? Like, because, because you, you US, think it's taking business out of the local villages. Then is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, if, you had, if you had, uh, if you were inside inside the counter and you've seen a, a bus pulling up outside and taking away ten customers, maybe maybe if they just came in and maybe spend a five or a piece, you know, to be something in the till, like, but taking them to town to spend a lot, like. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. The only thing, I mean, then you, you alluded to it yourself there, I mean, for people to get access to going into town or whatever, you know, it's good for the old mental health, it's it's sociable, all of these things as well. And the big shop, it's very hard to do that locally because it would probably be too expensive, I suppose, No, I understand. Yeah. I understand all that side of it, but um, I was just hoping that people would actually... They wouldn't spend everything in town, as the fellow said, that they would consider, you know, keeping, helping out in the, in the local shop, like, you know? Yeah, well, it's a very good point, because, I mean, if you don't use it, you lose it. And you said yourself, there are quite a few shops closed down in, in, in the village, yeah. Like, like, it is a coincidence this morning, just three miles off the road, like, when we hear the big protest down in the house and jockey, like. Mm, yeah. Like, and I'm not against the hammers or anything either, but I just say... If um, they're talking about losing ten percent, is it of their income? With the so, derogation, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but if you had a, a bulk tank breaking into a farmer and they're taking away ten percent of their milk, I think they'd have the shotgun out. Yeah. So you're the local being pulling up outside the local shop and taking ten customers into town. You know, that's the only point, like, you know. Yeah, well, it's certainly food. Let's put it out there to, to listeners, Nolan, and let's see what they think uh, about that. Because I know that in fairness to the service, you know, it's a necessary service and, you know, people are clamouring to use it. But I do take your point that, you know... Well, you, I'm not, as I said, I'm not knocking the service. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. But what I am saying is, on the Valley Bay Road, I'd often meet more buses than I'd meet maybe in Dublin. Yeah, it's it's it's. Well, it's an interesting one, Noel, and you bring me back great memories because my father's people was from uh, were from uh, Ballybeg. There, thanks for that, Noel. Thank you. Good morning to you. Um, of course, it is uh, the 11th of uh, September, and uh, Americans are looking back on the horror and the legacy of 9/11. I suppose at this point, and the gathering I know at memorials and firehouses and city halls and elsewhere to observe the 22nd anniversary of the deadliest terror attack on U.S. soil. And delighted to be joined now by Barbara. Barbara, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Barbara. Would you tell me about your experience, Barbara? Because you lived in Pennsylvania at uh, the time. Can you remember hearing about uh, the the attacks? 
I can um, vividly because we were actually um, heading to an appointment in Johnstown, which was about 20 minutes drive from where we live. And um, during that um, drive, we heard uh, about the first plane hitting the towers. But we thought it was some kind of radio trip, you know, like the Martians had landed years before and uh, things like that. So we we just didn't think anything of it. So when we got to my appointment, which was a doctor's appointment, we um, were sitting in the waiting area. And, of course, the television was on. And, of course, everything was flashing across the screens at that stage. And, like, everybody was in a state of shock and disbelief, like, what was happening. Because, like, the first plane, and everybody then just thought it was, you know, the usual, uh, a smaller plane hitting the towers. And then, unfortunately, um, a short time later, then the second plane hit the other tower. And we knew that it was uh, uh, quite serious and probably uh, an attack on the towers at that stage. And where we lived was in Somerset County, and... Where Flight 93 went down, it was seven miles away from uh, the house that we lived in wow. at the time. And the, that plane actually flew over our son's school, which was North Star in Jenner's, over in Boston area of um, Jennerstown, Pennsylvania. My God. And what was the result then locally of, particularly of that plane going down just seven miles away from you, Barbara? It was devastation because people were in a state of shock. First of all, we didn't know where it went down. We had, we had Nobody knew at that stage that had actually went into a field um, seven miles away. Now, nobody was able to get near the um, crash site for uh, a couple of weeks, but eventually we were able to get up there. And it's one of the most serious places that you could visit. Now, I know they have it done now and everything, but still the feeling there when you head up, you could feel it. And I always remember uh, they had everything on display and people were leaving this momentum that there was millions of little things left behind by people at the site. And I remember one thing in particular was the only thing survived uh, that was still there was a Bible from the crash that was found. And it was, I think it was belong to uh, one of the Japanese lads that was on the plane that unfortunately died in that crash. My God, it's it's incredible. Sometimes we don't hear enough about the effect on children when this happened because I can only mm-hmm. imagine how frightening it must have been for them, Barbara. Oh, I'd say so. And my son Liam, uh, my special needs guy, um, happens to be born in the July of that year. So he's actually 22 as well. So um, 22 years since then. And my son James, like he was going to um, the North Star High School at that stage. And, like, it was very upsetting for all the children, you know, at that time. And I'm sure the people in uh, at the Pension area, it must have been horrific for them and sports in New York. You know. Yeah, I remember. I was on air as it was unfolding, and I remember it was in the old Tip FM building uh, uh, down near Kick and Barracks there, and there was a kind yeah. of a TV monitor in the corner of the studio. And and again, like you said, I thought I was watching some sort of a movie that had come on yeah. the screen. Yeah. So I can only imagine what it was been like for you to be in the thick of it, so to speak. Um, the, tell me about the days surrounding it. Then, I mean, after, in the immediate aftermath, was there? All sorts of sorry, conspiracy going on, the theories. There was, uh, but not in the media, you know, directly after. But I suppose down the road from, you know, when the conspiracy theories all started to come out. Like, I mean, I would not, um, I would not lose any of them because of 
the localness of it, the way it happened. And that particular plane, Flight 93, was actually heading for Washington. That's where that plane was going to be headed. And the, the, the good people on that plane knew they were going to lose their lives by putting it into the ground, but they did it. You know, and they saved a lot of people. Incredibly, incredibly heroic because, yeah, it we... Is, uh, selfless. Yeah, we know, can only and, speculate yeah. on what would have happened if it if, if that plane had made its way to, to yes, Washington. Yes, exactly. Course, yes. Exactly, but like, I mean, you know, people can are entitled to their opinions, are entitled, but my opinion is that it was, it was uh, uh, people that took over airplanes and they were deliberately going to... Um, kill people and unfortunately like the end result is what we have now 22 years later that we're still remembering. How long did you remain in the States for uh, following uh, 9-11? We left and that happened in 2001 and we stayed there uh, 2009 I I came back to Ireland in 2009 at that stage. Was the country completely changed by... That's just what I was going to ask you, Barbara. Was it completely changed as a country? Oh, everything had changed after that because it was a very uh, free society where you could come and go because I worked in the tourist industry over there and I travelled all over the United States using flights and, you know, uh, different types of uh, transportation all over there because I worked for... uh, uh, not only um, the Laurel Highlands in Pennsylvania, but like um, for other businesses mm. there, and I travelled everywhere. And like the the atmosphere had changed. People uh, didn't. The trust was gone. You know, you couldn't get on a flight with anything. You, oh my God, it was dreadful. <laughs> Absolutely dreadful. Trying to get a flight. Yeah, and and you to know, people right around the world, you see, you know, who always looked to the strength of America, all of a sudden then we saw America as being vulnerable and fragile was, in some way. Yeah, and that, was, yeah. that changed everything worldwide, I think, in terms of the perception of America as well. Would you agree, Barbara? It did, I, and I would agree, yeah, it did. And, like, uh, since then, I think America is trying to, be, uh, is trying to build back up its, the strength that it did have, but I think it's kind of, um, it's not the same anymore. Yeah. It's just not the same there anymore. And, like, I mean, while I like living there, um, I wouldn't like to live there now. Would you not? There's no trust anymore there, no. no. And politics, of course, has gone so polarised there between right and left oh, as well, has. isn't it, you know? Oh, it has. It has, definitely. It's, you know, it's, and it's, it's kind of gone dangerous there. Yeah. You know, and especially if you have different views to somebody else, like, you know, yeah, so, and, yeah, and, and of yeah. course, politicians are playing into those fears uh, uh, as well, big time, you know. Um, pardon, pardon? Po- politicians are playing into those fears that people have as well, you know. I mean, they're using it for their own ends, I suppose, Barbara. Oh, yes. And yeah. like, like most people, like, you know, that have anything to gain out of things, that's the way I'm sure it would be, you know, um, that they use these things for personal uh, things to, for their own benefit a lot of the time, you know, I think myself. Of course. And politicians especially, you know, and especially over there. And you know? uh, But you, you wouldn't dream of going back now at this point because it's not the America that you, that you knew. No, it's not knew. the only thing that I, was, I lived in, no. Yes. no. And, like, I'm not American, I'm Irish, but, like, yeah, of course. it was the America that I lived in and, like, we were very welcome there and, you know, it was lovely there. And a lot of the people in this are just like ourselves, you know. I mean, people have a, a perception of Americans. But most Americans, 
uh, struggle every day like we do, you know, and go to work and have to travel long distances and, yeah. you know, to and from work and they, they suffer the same uh, fate as we do with, you know, finance and the whole lot. But, like, you know, it's, it's a different society there now. Could I, just finally, before I let you go, Barbara, because I know you're a carer as well, I'll be speaking to Hall Martin tomorrow at the moment. In fact, just as I speak, they are starting their thinking in the Horse and Jockey mm-hmm. Hotel. If you were chatting to him tomorrow, what would you say to him? The first thing I'd say to him is, you know, I mean, because it's coming into the winter, we don't know what kinds of winter we're going to have. You know, please um, think of carers and fuel allowance, because carers are not entitled to claim the fuel allowance. All right. Well, we will certainly put that to him tomorrow because yes, they have a yes. lot of money in the coffers now and they'll be making some... Well, they some, do. Yeah. They do. And I'd like to see um, our pension, the, the, the contributory pension being paid to uh, carers, and I'd like to see uh, carers being taken as a worker rather than for granted. All right, Barbara. Really good to talk to you today and thank you so much for sharing those uh, memories with us. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks, Brian. Good morning. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Barbara uh, this morning remembering um, 9-11-1800-938-007. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007, our free phone number. You can text in WhatsApp 083311 Double three, double one. You can email, by the way, as well. That's uh, tip today at tipfm.com. Now, if you've just uh, joined us, uh, Ali um, brought us a live report this morning from the Horse and Jockey Hotel and uh, the Fianna Fall thinking is going on there. And uh, IFA are protesting outside and they appear to be very, very angry indeed. George was on to us to say the minister is a disgrace and that's making reference, I guess, to uh, Charlie McConnell, the agri minister. Uh, George goes on to say he'll go down in history as the man that finished off the small to medium dairy farmer because we can't compete on the rental market against the big dairy men. I'm sorry to say the whole concept of the family farm is going to die if this crowd continue on their present course. That's according to George. Somebody else with an opposing opinion, and to say, just to say that farmers are always crying, you'd be sick of them, it says. They're at the Horse and Jockey Hotel hotel today and tomorrow. That's two days off. The ploughing next week, three days off. Oh, my God. And uh, for the young people uh, driving the tractors as well, they're going very fast and they're on mobiles and they're hogging the road as well to a listener who's not too fond of uh, our farming uh, people out there. Um, Fran, would you please bring up the issue of the farmers' children who are trying to build on their own land? My daughter has basically uh, been told that she will be turned down even uh, before she puts in her application. Now, again, opposing that because we touched on that when I was speaking to Peter Ryan earlier on, and one of our listeners says, Fran, the 10 year rule is there to protect the countryside as the services are not in place for sewage 
treatment, uh, bus routes, etc. And it allows siblings uh, born in the country to stay living in the country once they prove their 10 years living in the area. It also protects farming practices, so some rules are not that bad. So that's just a taste of what's uh, been coming into us this morning. On Friday's programme, and uh, during the panel, in fact, on uh, Friday, we spoke again about the Wolf Tones' biggest gig of all time at the Electric uh, Picnic. Now it's been trending all weekend as well. It's still a huge discussion because there was lots of opinion pieces on it, on the newspapers about it over the weekend. And Patricia joins me now. Patricia, good morning to you. Hello, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Patricia. Lovely to talk to you today. You have a unique percep- uh, perception of this, I suppose, because you were brought up in South Africa. Is that right? I was, Fran. Um, I actually uh, was born in London and um, left London when I was four and lived in South Africa for 17 years and um, left in 1987. Um, my mother was born and bred in Cashel and as was my father-in-law and my uh, my father was from Dublin. So um, our heritage, uh, my mother and father were always very proud of the Irish heritage. You know, they always instilled it in us. Um, uh, we joined a Caledonian society, so once a month we'd head off and do some Irish dancing, Irish music. Um, there was Scottish, Welsh, and um, the Irish, you know, mm. and it it was great fun. It was great crack, and um, you know, we'd listen to the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem and all the rest of it. So yes, I think it's 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 a great thing that you, you know, you're made aware of your of your heritage and where you you actually come from. Do you know? And are you surprised then with all of the controversy around some of the Wolf Tones songs, Patricia? Um, well, do you know, I have to say, I mean, my mother and father were never really, you know, they never spoke about um, the troubles or, mm. do you know, I, I remember my mother, she would speak more about how cruel the nuns were maybe when they were going to school rather than, do you know, but I, I might be opening a can of worms here, I'm not sure, but uh, do you know, yeah. those youngsters, uh, you know, when they were singing and, and all the rest of it, um, their parents might still be very young. Would their parents have maybe lived in the troubles? Do you know that kind of way? Like their grandparents maybe would have um, have known more about the troubles than those youngsters were, and maybe they were just getting caught up in the moment or, do you know, I don't yeah. know, enjoying themselves and singing along. Well, it might, I, I don't it know. might be similar to your own situation, Patricia. I mean, you, you said that you were listening to the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem and the like when you were in South Africa, but you were listening and enjoying those songs without getting caught up too much in the politics, I suppose. Absolutely. As yeah. I say, my mother and father, you know, we never, they never really spoke about the troubles. They never instilled anything in us other than our Irish heritage. You know, there was never, oh, well, this is about the English or that. I know when they left Ireland and went to live in England, I mean, obviously there was, you know, no Irish, no dogs, no black mm, supply sure, when they yeah. were, you know, going to look for houses and things. But that's as far as it went. They never really, you know, said anything more than that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, another thing that interests me, in fact, because I, I used to tour playing music, Patricia, and I could never get over how more powerful songs and the tradition is outside of Ireland, if you know what I mean. It seems to be more important to Irish people abroad almost than it is in, 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 in our own country here. Oh, I think so. 
I do. And that's why, you know, people are proud to be Irish. And it's very important not to forget your heritage and where you actually come from. Mm. Do you know, for me, I think, do you know, um, that's why I think with my parents and my father-in-law, um, as I say, he was born and bred in Cashel as well. Um, you know, it is important for them. It's important to remember where you come from because mm. you, it's, it's easy to forget. And you, well, I'm guessing you don't think it's any harm then for that you had, what is it, almost 20,000 young people singing back ooh-ah up the ra because that seems to be the controversial line that everybody's talking about. Does that, that doesn't concern you then, Patricia, does it? Um, I don't, um, I don't think so because, Mm. I mean, as I say, I think maybe they were just being caught, they were caught up in the moment. Do you know, if you, do, do kids these days have a political view? Do you know, they, they, they quite, um, Mm. They're quite indifferent to things. Do you know that kind of way? They, they, they. Um, I, I'm mm. not sure, to be honest, so, man, so if I can like, answer that honestly. Yeah, so it was like a collective chant in a way, I suppose, like a soccer chant or something like that, and that's all it was, uh, I suppose. Um, I think so. You yeah. know, I don't think there was any um, malice or intent behind it. Do you mm. know, they were there having a good time, caught up in the moment, and... Um, I don't know, maybe mass hysteria, you know. They yeah. they were just enjoying themselves, really, I think. I don't think there was any intent in or, or harm in, uh, intended in it. And it's interesting to see that now we're looking at sell-out gigs everywhere for the Wolf Tones, including the uh, the, the Three Arena in October. So it's, a, it's certainly an ill wind that has blown very well for the Wolf Tones. Yeah. It certainly has. Yeah. But if you look at, I mean, you know, you look at the Irish... Um, in 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 Europe, I mean, they're well known for their their um, support. Look at the soccer. Do you know that kind of way? Everywhere mm. you look, they they are well known for for being supportive and singing and do you know that kind of way, having yeah. the crack, sociable and all of that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You, you said in passing there, your your mum was from Cashel, Patricia. Is that right? She, she is indeed. Yeah, yeah. She is. and she and she she's well. I hope is she. She is. She's okay. living in Ballingarry at the moment. Oh, very and, good. Yeah. Um, yep, she's alive and hearty in in Ballingarry. And my father-in-law, as I said, was from Cashel, and he is living in Cairns. Oh, excellent. And they live South Africa. Do you know, we lived in South Africa throughout the Troubles, and um, like that, you know, um, our parents uh, lived through the Troubles. We lived through the Troubles, uh, apartheid. Yes. Uh, do you know, we, we had a very privileged upbringing, as it were, uh, through and were, the apartheid. Were you there for yes. the transition of, of government? I was. Were you? Wow. Okay. I was indeed. I was on honeymoon when Nelson Mandela was released from prison in Cape Town. My husband and I were on um, honeymoon. Um, I still have a brother living in South Africa, but um, my husband's family have actually left. You see, um, I never had any family there. We only ever just grew up there because of my dad's job. Yes. So there was just six of us. So, but my brother, um, my sorry, my husband has a brother living there, Sean and Karma. Hello, guys, if you're listening in. And um, his other family have all left. They've all left South Africa now at the moment and they're back in Ireland. My God. And I suppose I'm sort of, you know, an interest in South Africa, but it certainly isn't living up to Mandela's vision for how the country would turn out. Would you agree, Patricia? 100%. 100%. It's actually, it's it's gone worse. It's it's worse. And people are leaving 
in their thousands trying to get away. And um, it's unfortunate. It's a beautiful country, absolutely beautiful. beautiful for sure, but it it's yeah, it's it, it's not as you say. It's, well, it's, 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 not it's what so it's dangerous now in areas of, of South Africa, which is which is such a pity. As I say, it it certainly wasn't the vision that he had. Could I ask you about? Did your mum talk? Did I hear you say? Your mum talked about the cruelty of the nuns in Cashel growing up. She well, more, yes, more than as I say, absolutely. She went to school. Uh, you know, she'd always say how cruel the nuns were, rather than um, you know everybody knows how hard the, the nuns and the Christian brothers yeah, were sure, when going yeah. to school. And she spoke more of that. You know, now she comes from a big family in Cashel. There's, there's there was nine of them. There's only three left. Right. And. Um, my father-in-law, as I say, is from Castle as well. And, um, yeah, she would talk more about that rather yes. than the, the, the English or anything that happens. It's very, very interesting. I'm from Cashel too, you see, Patricia, yes. so I'd, I'd always be keeping an ear out when somebody mentions uh, Cashel. But there's certainly there's a full discussion, I think, around education in Cashel back in the day, the nuns and the Christian brothers. And I think it's something that we will certainly get to at some point or other. Give, give my best to your mum, won't you, Patricia? I will indeed. She's and a Harding. She's one of the Hardings from Cashel. Oh, is she? Indeed? Sure, I know all of the she, Hardings from Cashel. You do indeed. And my father-in-law is a Fitzgerald. Uh, you'd have Kieran and... Um, Kieran or May, do you know, Boy O'Clock? Oh, Cashel? sure. Uh, Kieran's been a great friend of mine for years and years. Well, I... there you go. So that's the, And it's funny, you know, because the worst thing about having a funny accent is that, you know, if you're on the sideline abusing a ref, you can't deny it was you because you're the only one with a funny <laughs> accent. <laughs> yeah, but so... I, I, bet they, I bet they can't pinpoint the accent, though, can they? No, no, no. no. And no. I've always, I'd have, loved, I'd have loved to have picked up an Irish accent, but as I say, we've been gone a very long long time so i suppose it's it, it stays with you yeah, well, but can i say a few hellos of course you can Patricia. okay can. so i'd like to say hello to um everybody that knows me and um my mother and my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and my uh, children are in australia my two of my sons are in australia and they're listening in so i'd like to say hello to them and um, to my work colleagues, um, we are home sport and they're a wonderful bunch of ladies and they're doing a wonderful job. Well, it was fantastic to uh, talk to you today. And I just love your accent, by the way, Patricia. Well, I'm so very self-conscious of well, it. Well, don't be in the least. Don't be, <laughs> and don't take any abuse about it either. Patricia, lovely to talk to you. Real, Thank real you delight. for having me. Thank you. And Thank my you. husband, Tony. Thanks a million. Thanks very bye, much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye bye 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 to you now to uh, Patricia and Tony there and their mum. And uh, all the family there. We'll take a break and uh, we'll be back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Mick was on to us, he says, when talking about the Wolf Tones, don't forget our own rebel hearts. Every bit, if not better, than the Wolf Tones, says Mick, with the same type of music I see from Facebook uh, that uh, they had a sellout concert in Liverpool last week. Well, thanks for that, Mick. But if you were listening every single uh, time we spoke about the Wolf Tones, we mentioned Rebel Hearts. We also mentioned all the other young ballad groups who were emerging out there, like uh, Tumbling Paddies and uh, the Whistling Donkeys and all these 
uh, various groups uh, as well. But thank you for that. 83 311 Now it looks like Ellie is doing a world tour of Tipperary today. So far she's been in uh, the horse and jockey. Uh, where are you now, Ellie? I'm in Dahl now this morning, Fran. Uh, it's a busy and stressful morning on tip today <laughs> this morning, but thankfully I'm in the right place this morning because Excellent. here in Dahl I am at the Irish Heart Foundation. They have a mobile unit set up here just beside the church in the community hall where they'll be conducting screening all day and the good news is it's a walk-in screening. And to tell us more, I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Mulcahy from the Irish Heart Foundation. Peter, good morning. Good morning, Alison. And uh, good morning to all your listeners on T- Tip FM. And welcome to Tipperary. Tell us, what's the purpose of being here today? Well, we've been asked to come here from Dewhill Community Centre to do um, healthy heart checks on the whole community and all the different groups that use the community centre here. So we're delighted to be here today. And it's all being done in the van that you have here today and you can't miss it because it's bright red and has the Irish Heart Foundation on it. Tell us, what is the procedure in getting a check or a screening? Well, today we're doing blood pressure checks and we're doing pulse checks. And then there could be a few lifestyle questions that the nurses might ask the clients, you know, and then there could be a bit of a chat with the nurse afterwards, you know, depending on the conversation. So, you know. So is it just kind of the cuff like you'd normally have at a GP or is it more than that? Exactly. It's a blood pressure cuff. Exactly. Okay. And what are you hoping to learn then from that? Well, we can gather from the individual, you know, from either the pulse or the blood pressure, if there might be anything underlying, whether it could be something simple, maybe somebody didn't sleep well that night or they could be anxious or, you know, a few different various things, you know. And what's the importance then of having a mobile screening unit as opposed to maybe someone going into their GP to getting it checked? Well, you see, we can get to areas where, you know, like rural areas or places where there might be you know, pressure on services, you know, on GP services, which, you know, around the country there is at the moment. So we find wherever we go, we're very welcome. You know, people are delighted to see us and, you know, the service that we provide and we can kind of, we create an awareness so we can catch some people early, which is fantastic. Yeah. How long have you been operating the mobile element of the screening program? Well, as far as I know, it's going since 2016. Wow. Yeah. That's great. And a big take up? Oh, huge massive as you yeah. can see today yeah you know <laughs> we have uh, we have a good few people here you know looking forward to getting their their checks so yeah everywhere we go we're very popular and the important thing to say as well is you don't have to book in you can just arrive on absolutely yeah, yeah. you know when we go to different areas when we're asked to come to the Irish Heart Foundation it's a free service yeah so people can arrive you know it's yeah. free yeah and someone who just got theirs checked is Brendan Keating from the Community Council here in Dahl. Well, Brendan, how's it going? Morning, Bad Alison, news or good news? Oh, very good news, yeah. Good man. I'm delighted with it. <laughs> um, I, you're involved in a bit of sport, we'll say, cycling. Myself and uh, the local club here, South Tip Cycling Club. Yeah. And we go out cycling regularly, so it's good for the head and good for the, the body, as the fellow said. How did you find the procedure? Is it just the same as you'd go to a GP Absolutely. and get the cuff on? Not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah. Not a, no problem at all, yeah. Just go in and get the cuff on and just check the heart rate and that. Everything yeah. is find there, yeah. Is, is it something you'll get checked fairly often? You're only uh, a young fellow. To, I'm only a young fellow. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Looks can be receptive. <laughs> no, I get checked. I get blood checked uh, annually, we'll say, once a year, we'll say, yeah. just keep an eye on things, we'll say, keep an eye on, on, on um, cholesterol and all that type of stuff, we'll say, and, and heart, we'll say, and get it checked. Um, no, it's important to get it checked once a year, I think, anyway, yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it the first time you've had the mobile unit here in Dahl? Well, the first time that I can recollect has been here anyway. Yeah. I'd say it's, yeah, it's the first time I've ever seen it here, yeah. It's it's a great idea to have. Uh, Lena Ryan as well is with us. Uh, you'll know Lena Fran, of course, a great friend of the show. 
great friend of Tip FM and also part of Dohill uh, Dramatic Society as well. Uh, Lena, you were showing me around the hall here. Fantastic facility. I mean, it's always hopping, isn't it? This is a fantastic. This morning going on in the hall is full with a, a yoga class and there's a second one for the elderly, which is a chair yoga. Kathleen Loney is here to do that. Yeah, the hall is always always put packed and that's made possible by a wonderful community council, really led by the Maloney family. They live just down the road here. They have a key. It's always available. But anything that you want to go on, they will try and facilitate it. Now, they're not always the easiest to deal with, but they do try very hard and very accommodating. So that's what She's right it. here now. That's why you're saying that, being bowled. Yes, that's right. But, you know, um, it, it, it's the focal point for the community. Yeah. It's an old school hall that has huge amount of history. It's right beside the church. But, you know, um, and it is magnificent for the area. And anything that goes on here, Alison, which I think is because the Maloney family are so intrinsic here, in, it, it, the whole community uh, join in yeah. and are involved in it. They had a whole walk and, and uh, wellness week this week. Things going on all week, hugely supported. A lot of it done for various charities and there's a lot of charity events that go on here. But it's a, it really is a community hall and a community spirit here like I have never known yeah. anywhere else. So it's and fabulous. it's great to see that health and well-being is such a focal point of that when you see the van here as well today. It's not just about having shows for local groups. I mean, it's about the well-being of and, its community. And I think that's hugely important in yeah. the rural area because sometimes people are afraid because this call is so welcoming. People can drive past and think, I'll run in there. Nobody will see me. Nobody will know whether I have a heart or I don't have a heart. So yeah. it's much more welcome and much more easy for people to do it, as yeah. you can see from the number of people here this morning. Absolutely. Also joining me here then as well is uh, Pat Rossiter, who's chairman of the Dramatic Society as well. Are you on the way in or on the way out, Pat? I'm just hanging in there now. <laughs> I'm okay. Did you get your pressure checked? I did. I know I'm just coming since. So Thank I'm God. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> Tell me about the Dramatic Society. I know it's a busy time for Dramatic Societies Since, across the um, country. We're just starting to rehearse now for our new play, uh, Widow's Paradise. Wow. So uh, it's a big cast, 11. So we're having, we have a small stage, like so we're renovating at the moment, trying to get it up and running. Great. So we're going flying. How many members do you have then with the Dramatic Society? Oh, well, about, we'd have all, probably 15 of us in all, like, Great. you know. And growing all the time? Growing all the time, yeah. Uh, yeah. We had uh, several different directors. We had uh, Brenda Mahoney from Samuel, Justin Erman, and Michael Pollard. And now we have uh, we had uh, Cattle McVicker as well. And now we have uh, Will Nugent. Yeah. Is with us. So. Fantastic. Well, wish you all the best with it for the upcoming season anyway. Can, can I just jump in there as I usually do, Alison? Yeah. We, we are looking for a young man to play a oh. small part at the moment. How young is young, Lena? Oh, as young as possible. Right. <laughs> no, I mean between the ages of 20 and 40. But we also welcome always new members. Yeah. But the, the, our, our play is very specific and we would welcome uh, interest from anybody. Yeah. They can follow us on Facebook or contact Pat or any member of the cast. You know, um, and it's, it's, it's a great show. And the funny thing is, it's setting a caravan so uh, it'll be very very good and uh, you know we're going a long time but so if there's anybody out there that would be interested you know get in touch yeah she put it out there there you were all listening michael is here as well michael you're a local resident um how encouraging is it to see things like this in, in rural communities and the irish heart foundation traveling around for screening good morning Alison. yeah i just called down here to my local hall just to um, get the, the free screening here kindly put on by the irish heart foundation yeah it's, it's great absolutely as you can see here, we're, we're we're in a rural area, and it's lovely to be able to get a service like this yeah. to, to come to our doorstep. 
I'm similar to Brendan in, in the sense that I do a bit of cycling as well with South Tip Cycling Club. So it's nice to just check out, make sure everything is, yeah. is, is working heart-wise as well, you know, because we, we do do uh, quite a bit of training. And as part of Wellness Week that was going on in here, as, as you touched on uh, previously, we had our own South Tip put on a, a 20k introductory cycle to try and get, you know, new, pe- new people involved in that yeah. yesterday. And we went off really, really well. So we had a lovely little 20k spin. So, well and that's what it's all about, trying to get more, par- you know, participation in that. And, the hall facilitates that. I know Elena alluded to it as well. It's a, it's a fantastic community here. Mm. Anything that you want to put on and, you know, in relation to a f- function on the hall is all, is all is facilitated. And I think the, a lovely asset to that this week was the, was the wellness week. And yeah. there was something for everybody in it, be it walking, cycling, yoga, you, you, you name it, to, yeah. to, to mention about a few of the activities that were on here this week and all well supported. Absolutely. And it's great to see. And there is yoga going on in the hall at the moment. Peter, though, if I finish up with you, if there are other communities like Dahl who are looking to have this screening van brought to their area, how can they do that? Well, if they contact, if they go onto our website, irishheart.ie, they'll see all the contact names there and they can just send an email and request us Mm. you know because it's great i mean in this day and age unfortunately where it can be kind of difficult to get a gp appointment pretty quickly i mean here you can get something done which might give you a bit of peace of mind anyway or set the basis for maybe medical or healthcare going forward absolutely people have fears natural fears you know none of us like getting checked you know there's that kind of feeling that we're getting tested but the majority of the people, they come out and, like you said, they have a bit of peace of mind. Yeah. You know, they be, could be worrying about something in the background. And that's why it's great that we can get to these communities. Yeah. You know, that are kind of not hidden away, but, you know, the services aren't there that they have in the bigger towns. Yeah. So. So it's there for them. Yeah. Well, it's great to talk to everyone here in Dohal this morning. Uh, so it's a walk-in, as we mentioned. You don't have to book in. So they're parked up here till half two today, I believe, isn't it? Two thirty today. So if you're in the area and you need to get your blood blood pressure checked, or indeed if you just want to, it's a great facility here here at Dohal until half two today. Back to you in studio. Thanks, Ali. But Mike was onto us and he's wondering, could you shift the blood pressure check to the horse and jockey? He thinks it might be very useful down there. So <laughs> yeah, actually, people. Uh, <laughs> They're saying, given the protest that's happening up in Horse and Jockey today, you might have a good few customers up there. <laughs> it might be worth <laughs> a trip. He might stop there on the way back, Fred. All right, cool. Thanks very much indeed, Ali. That's Ali out and about for us uh, in Duhill uh, right now. 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. McConnell under pressure with a protest outside the Horse and Jockey Hotel over a cut to nitrate limits and changes to farm payment dates. Inside the building, Fianna Fáil's budget priorities are top of the agenda, with preparation also being done for the local and European elections, which are drawing rapidly into view. International search teams are arriving in Morocco to help with the rescue effort following an earthquake which has killed more than 2,000 people. Two and a half thousand more were injured when the tremor hit on Friday. It's understood King Mohammed of Morocco has thanked Spain, the UK, UAE and other countries for sending aid. Dr Claire Makaki from Bangor in County Down is a hospital worker in Marrakesh. Villages and the towns have very, very difficult access, even at the best of times. The roads are damaged, um, it's very difficult to get help up to them, and it's very difficult to bring people down. But we are now, those, those injured are now getting to us. Local authority staff are engaging in industrial action indefinitely from today. Employees who are represented by the Forza Trade Union are refusing to carry out engagements with politicians. 
The union is calling for better pay and conditions for staff who they say are working above their pay grade. Secondary school students may soon be taught about road safety. Following a series of road tragedies involving young people, it's understood the Education Minister wants senior cycle students to cover the topic in school. The Irish Times reports that Norma Foley has written to the Road Safety Authority asking it to examine the issue of an education programme for schools. Over 200,000 more people will be able to visit their doctor for free from today. Eligibility for free GP visits is being expanded, meaning many working people who pay rent, mortgages or childcare will now be able to benefit. Applications can be made from today on the HSE website. Health Minister Stephen Donnelly says it's the latest initiative towards universal health care for all. This is an important measure. It's one measure aimed at really dramatically reducing the costs of health care and making sure that health care in Ireland is affordable for everybody. 40% of people have expressed discomfort in discussing or considering palliative care as they associate it with end of life. Research carried out by the All-Ireland Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care involved over a 1,000 people. The study shows adults are now less inclined to address the topic than they were in 2016. Director Karen Charnley wants to raise awareness during Palliative Care Week. Palliative care is so much more than the last days of life. It's available for people of all stages of illness as well as people of all ages. So I think, you know, what we're trying to do is promote the benefits of palliative care and raise awareness that it isn't just those at end of life. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un appears to have set off for Russia where he's expected to meet President Putin for talks in the coming days. Mr Kim, who hasn't left the country in four years, is thought to be travelling on his private train. Moscow hopes to secure more supplies for its military in Ukraine. Tip FM obituaries and weather next. It's happening. They've all overheard. All I wanted was a little low-key McDelivery. Me and my brother, but Mum's piped in with her. Ooh, I'm in. Filet of fish and a Diet Coke, no ice. And Dad's muscled in with his. Yes, I'm in. Big Mac with fries and a strawberry milkshake, please. So I give my brother a little eye roll. Oh well, family dinner it is. At least I can steal some of Dad's fries. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants only. 16 plus. Serving times, delivery fees and terms apply. See mcdonalds.ie for details. Tip FM has been informed of the following deaths. Tony Grant, Glenview, Lisrona, Clonmel and native Erlingford, County Kilkenny. Funeral arriving to St John the Baptist Church, Lisrona this morning for Requiem Mass at 11, followed by burial in the adjoining cemetery. Paddy Guinan, formerly of Redwood, Laura and England. Funeral arriving to St. Rowan's Church, Laura, for Mass at 12 noon today, with burial afterwards in the adjoining cemetery. John Kelly, Hillview, Chadville, Capo White. Arriving in Our Lady of Fatima Church, Capo White, this morning for Requiem Mass at half 11, with burial afterwards in St. Michael's Cemetery, Tipperary. Theresa Redden, Nee Walsh, Main Street and Templemore Road, Clock Jordan. Funeral Mass at 12 noon today in St. Michael and John's Church, Clock Jordan, with burial afterwards in the adjoining cemetery. Jenny, Jean Edwards, Nee Keeley, Castle Connell, County Limerick, formerly of Ashfield, Ballack Moyler, County Leash, and recently Park Nursing Home, Castle Troy. Reposing at Meehan's Funeral Home, Castle Connell, from 5.30 to 7.30 this evening. Arriving on Tuesday to St. Joseph's Church, Castle Connell, for Requiem Mass at half eleven, with burial afterwards in St. Joseph's Cemetery, Castle Connell. Family flowers only, please. Donations if desired to Parkinson's. Dan Ryan Morrissey, 
Lochmoreau, Milestone Thurlis and St. Theresa's Nursing Home Thurlis. Reposing at O'Dwyer's Funeral Home Upper Church this evening from 6 to 8 o'clock. Funeral arriving on Tuesday morning to St. Patrick's Church, Kilcommon for funeral mass at half eleven with burial afterwards in Upper Church Cemetery. Nora Slattery, Nee Whelan, Drummond Asgart, Ballycommon, Nina, formerly of St. Joseph's Park, Nina. Reposing at Ryan's Funeral Home, Nina from 5 to 7 o'clock this evening. Funeral arriving to St. Patrick's Church, Pocon on Tuesday for a funeral mass at 11 o'clock, followed by burial in Nye Cemetery. House private, please. Lena, Helena Latimore, Nee Golden, St. Oliver's Close, Ellen Park, Clonmel, late of Kilmaine, Ballinrobe, County Mayo. Reposing at O'Donoghue's Funeral Home, Kickham Street, Clonmel, on Tuesday evening from 5 to 7 o'clock. Lena's funeral will arrive at St. Oliver's Church on Wednesday morning for Requiem Mass at half eleven, followed by burial in St. Patrick's Cemetery. May they rest in peace. Live streaming details are available on tipfm.com. Tip FM weather. Tip FM weather. Cloudy with outbreaks of rain and drizzle today, turning persistent and heavy at times. The rain will ease off gradually this evening. Feeling noticeably cooler with highest temperatures of 16 to 19 degrees. It's 17 degrees in Carrick and Shore at the moment. That's your update for now. You can get more local stories via the Tip FM app or at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, fuck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, fuck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007, our free phone number. You can text in WhatsApp 083 311 You can email, by the way, as well. That's uh, tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, if you've just uh, joined us, uh, Ali um, brought us a live report this morning from the Horse and Jockey Hotel and uh, the Fianna Fall thinking is going on there and uh, IFA are protesting outside and they appear to be very, very angry indeed. George was on to us to say the minister is a disgrace and that's making reference, I guess, to uh, Charlie McConnell, the angry minister. Uh, George goes on to say he'll go down in history as the man that finished off the small to medium dairy farmer because we can't compete on the rental market against the big dairy men. I'm sorry to say the whole concept of the family farm is going to die if this crowd continue on their present course. That's according to George. Somebody else with an opposing opinion on to say just to say that farmers are always crying you'd be sick of them it says they're at the horse and jockey hotel hotel today and tomorrow that's two days off the ploughing next week three days off oh my god and uh, for the young people uh, driving the tractors as well they're going very fast and they're on mobiles and they're hogging the road as well to a listener who's not too fond of uh, our farming uh, people out there um, Fran, would you please bring up the issue of the farmers' children who are trying to build on their own land? My daughter has basically uh, been told that she will be turned down even uh, before she puts in her application. Now, again, opposing that because we touched on that when I was speaking to Peter Ryan earlier on. And one of our listeners says, Fran, the 10-year rule is there to protect the countryside 
as the services are not in place for sewage treatment, uh, bus routes, etc. And it allows siblings uh, born in the country to stay living in the country once they prove their 10 years living in the area. It also protects farming practices, so some rules are not that bad. So that's just a taste of what's uh, been coming into us this morning. Now, on Friday's programme, and uh, during the panel, in fact, on uh, Friday, we spoke again about the Wolf Tones biggest gig of all time at the Electric uh, Picnic. Now it's been trending all weekend as well. It's still a huge discussion because there was lots of opinion pieces on it on the newspapers about it over the weekend. And Patricia joins me now. Patricia, good morning to you. Hello, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Patricia. Lovely to talk to you today. You have a unique percept, uh, perception of this, I suppose, because you were brought up in South Africa. Is that right? I was, friend. Um, I actually uh, was born in London and um, left London when I was four and lived in South Africa for 17 years and um, left in 1987. Um, my mother was born and bred in Cashel, and as was my father-in-law, and my uh, my father was from Dublin. So um, our heritage, uh, my mother and father were always very proud of the Irish heritage. You know, they always instilled it in us. Um, uh, we joined a Caledonian society, so once a month we'd head off and do some Irish dancing, Irish music. Um, there was Scottish, Welsh and um, the Irish, you know, mm. and it, it was great fun. It was great crack. And, um, you know, we'd listen to the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem and all the rest of it. So, yes, I think it's, it's, it's a great thing that you, you know, you're made aware of your, of your heritage and where you, you actually come from, do you know? And uh, are you surprised then with all of the controversy around some of the Wolf Tones songs, Patricia? Um, well, do you know, I, I have to say, I mean, my mother and father were never really, you know, they never spoke about um, the troubles or, mm. do you know, I, I remember my mother, she would speak more about how cruel the nuns were maybe when they were going to school rather than, do you know, but I, I might be opening a can of worms here, I'm not sure, but uh, do you know, yeah. those youngsters, uh, you know, when they were singing and, and all the rest of it, um, their parents might still be very young. Would their parents have maybe lived in the troubles? Do you know that kind of way? Like their grandparents maybe would have um, have known more about the troubles than those youngsters were. And maybe they were just getting caught up in the moment or, do you know, I don't yeah. know, enjoying themselves and singing along. Well, it might, I, I don't it know. might be similar to your own situation, Patricia. I mean, you, you said that you were listening to the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem and the like when you were in South Africa, but you were listening and enjoying those songs without getting caught up too much in the politics, I suppose. Absolutely. As yeah. I say, my mother and father, you know, we never, they never really spoke about the troubles. They never instilled anything in us other than our Irish heritage. You know, there was never, oh, well, this is about the English or that. I know when they left Ireland and went to live in England, I mean, obviously there was, you know, no Irish, no dogs, no black mm, supply sure, when yeah. they were, you know, going to look for houses and things. But that's as far as it went. They never really, you know, said anything more than that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, another thing that interests me, in fact, because I, I used to tour playing music, Patricia, and I could never get over how more powerful songs and the tradition is outside of Ireland, if you know what I mean. It seems to be more important to Irish people abroad almost than it is in, in, in our own country here. Oh, I think so. 
also, I do. And that's why, you know, people are proud to be Irish. And it's very important not to forget your heritage and where you actually come from. Mm. Do you know, for me, I think, do you know, um, that's why I think with my parents and my father-in-law, um, as I say, he was born and bred in Cashel as well. Um, you know, it is important for them. It's important to remember where you come from because mm. you, it's, it's easy to forget. And you, well, I'm guessing you don't think it's any harm then for that you had, what is it, almost 20,000 young people singing back ooh-ah up the ra because that seems to be the controversial line that everybody's talking about. Does that, that doesn't concern you then, Patricia, does it? Um, I don't um, I don't think so because, mm. I mean, as I say, I think maybe they were just being caught, they were caught up in the moment. Do you know, if you, do, do kids these days have a political view? Do you know, they, they, they quite, um, Mm. They're quite indifferent to things. Do you know that kind of way? They, they, they. Um, I, I'm not sure, to be honest, so, so if I can like, answer that honestly. Yeah, so it was like a collective chant in a way, I suppose, like a soccer chant or something like that, and that's all it was, uh, I suppose. Um, I think so. You yeah. know, I don't think that there was any um, malice or intent behind it. Do you mm. know, they were there having a good time, caught up in the moment, and... Um, I don't know, maybe mass hysteria, you know. They yeah. they were just enjoying themselves, really, I think. I don't think there was any intent in, or, or harm in, uh, intended in it. And it's interesting to see that now we're looking at sell-out gigs everywhere for the Wolf Tones, including the uh, the the Three Arena in October. So it's, a, it's certainly an ill wind that has blown very well for the Wolf Tones. Yeah. It certainly has. Yeah. But if you look at, I mean, you know, you look at the Irish... Um, in 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 Europe, I mean, they're well known for their their um, support. Look at the soccer. Do you know that kind of way? Everywhere mm. you look, they they are well known for for being supportive and singing and do you know that kind of way, having yeah. the crack, sociable and all of that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You, you said in passing there, your your mum was from Cashel, Patricia. Is that right? She, she is indeed. Yeah, yeah. She is. and is she and is she she's well. I hope is she. She is. She's okay. living in Ballingarry at the moment. Oh, very and, good. Yeah. Um, yep, she's alive and hearty in in Ballingarry. And my father-in-law, as I said, was from Cashel, and he is living in Cairns. Oh, excellent. And they left South Africa. Do you know, we lived in South Africa throughout the Troubles, and um, like that, you know, um, our parents uh, lived through the Troubles. We lived through the Troubles, uh, apartheid. Yes. Uh, do you know, we, we had a very privileged upbringing, as it were, uh, through and were, the apartheid. Were you there for yes. the transition of, of government? I was. Were you? Wow. Okay. I was indeed. I was on honeymoon when Nelson Mandela was released from prison in Cape Town. My husband and I were on um, honeymoon. Um, I still have a brother living in South Africa, but um, my husband's family have actually left. You see, um, I never had any family there. We only ever just grew up there because of my dad's job. Yes. So there was just six of us. So, but my brother, um, my sorry, my husband has a brother living there, Sean and Karma. Hello, guys, if you're listening in. And um, his other family have all left. They've all left South Africa now at the moment and they're back in Ireland. My God. And I suppose I'm sort of, you know, a, a, an interest in South Africa, but it certainly isn't living up to Mandela's vision for how the country would turn out. Would you agree, Patricia? 100%. Or do, or do, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it's, it's, it's gone worse. It's, it's worse. Yeah. And people are leaving 
in their thousands trying to get away. And um, it's unfortunate. It's a beautiful country, absolutely beautiful. beautiful for sure. But it it's, yeah, it's, it, it's not, as you say, it's, well, it's, it's, it's not It's what so it's dangerous now in areas of, of South Africa, which is which is such a pity. As I say, it's, it certainly wasn't the vision uh, that he had. Could I ask you about, uh, did your mum talk, did I hear you say, your mum talked about the cruelty of the nuns in Cashel growing up. She, she? Well, more, yes, more than, as I say, absolutely. She went to school, uh, you know, she'd always say how cruel the nuns were rather than, um, you know, everybody knows how hard the, the nuns and the Christian brothers yeah, were sure, when going yeah. to school. And she spoke more of that. You know, now she comes from a big family in Cashel. There's, there's, there was nine of them. There's only three left. Right. And... Um, my father-in-law, as I say, is from Cashel as well. And, um, yeah, she would talk more about that rather yes. than the, 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 the English or anything that happened. It's very, very interesting. I'm from Cashel too, you see, Patricia. Yes. So I'd, I'd always be keeping an ear out when somebody mentions uh, Cashel. But there's certainly there's a full discussion, I think, around education in Cashel back in the day, the nuns and the Christian brothers. And I think it's something that we will certainly get to at some point or other. Give, give my best to your mum, won't you, Patricia? I will indeed. She's and a Harding. She's one of the Hardings from Cashel. Oh, is she? Indeed? Sure, I know all of the she, Hardings from Cashel. You do indeed. And my father-in-law is a Fitzgerald. Uh, you'd have Kieran and... Um, Kieran or May, do you know Borough Clark? Oh, sure. I, Kieran's been a great friend of mine for years and years. Well, I, there you go. So that's the, and it's funny, you know, because the worst thing about having a funny accent is that, you know, if you're on the sideline abusing a ref, you can't deny it was you because you're the only one with a funny accent. <laughs> yeah, but so, I, I, bet they, I bet they can't pinpoint the accent, though, can they? No, no, no. no. And no. I've always, I'd have loved, I'd love to have picked up an Irish accent, but as I say, we've been gone a very long time. So I suppose it's, it, it stays with you. Yeah, well, but a, can I say a few hellos? Of course you can, Patricia. Okay, so I'd like to say hello to um, everybody that knows me and um, my mother and my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and my uh, children are in Australia. My two of my sons are in Australia and they're listening in. So I'd like to say hello to them. And um, to my work colleagues, um, we are home sport and they're a wonderful bunch of ladies and they're doing a wonderful job. Well, it was fantastic to uh, talk to you today. And I just love your accent, by the way, Patricia. Well, I'm so very self-conscious of well, it. Well, don't be in the least. Don't be, <laughs> And don't take any abuse about it either. Patricia, lovely to talk to you. Real, Thank real you delight. for having me. Thank you. And Thank my you. husband, Tony. Thanks a million. Thanks very bye, much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye bye bye bye. Bye. Uh, to uh, Patricia and Tony there and their mum. And uh, all the family there. We'll take a break and uh, we'll be back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Coming up from 12 midday. The Lunchtime Show with Stephen Kyo. Then from 3 p.m., it's Owen Lonergan on Drive Time. Playing the music you love. The music you love. All afternoon. Tip FM. It's time. It's time to embrace you and your health. Whether you'd like to make some simple lifestyle changes or have a specific health concern, Beacon Limerick's world-class comprehensive health check provides a full analysis of your well-being today so you're always ready for life's journey ahead. Call Beacon Limerick Health Check at 061-233000 and take a proactive approach to your health. No GP referral required and no waiting times. 
Are you looking for the perfect lunch spot with plenty of free car parking? Then why not sample the delicious Carvery lunch with scrumptious roasts, tasty salads and yummy desserts at the Talbot Hotel Clonmel. Available seven days a week. See talbothotelclonmel.ie Has the time come for your Skoda timing belt to be changed? At La Heart Skoda Clonmel, we have a special offer price on timing belt replacements. From only €599, including parts and labour. Book online today at lahearts.ie 052-6180323. Terms and conditions apply. Thinking of an evening programme this winter? College of Further Education and Training Mulgrave Street Campus is now enrolling for all its evening programmes. Visit collegeofet.ie slash mulgrave and click on the part-time apply link. Registration is easy. Find us on Facebook and Instagram to get details on our new September 23 programmes. Find the best in you with Mulgrave Street Campus Limerick. Don't miss the big baby event at Lidl. Mix and match multi-buys across our award-winning Loopy Loop Premium Nappies range from two packs for two euro. Get dreamy prices on 100% cotton baby sleep suits, two for six euro. And feed the little ones at little cost. Loopy Loop food range, 20% off on Lidl Plus. Go on, shop without compromise. Go full Lidl today. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. And Mick was on to us. He says, when talking about the Wolf Tones, don't forget our own rebel hearts. Every bit, if not better than the Wolf Tones, is Mick with the same type of music I see from Facebook uh, that uh, they had a sellout concert in Liverpool last week. Well, thanks for that, Mick. But if you were listening every single uh, time we spoke about the Wolf Tones, we mentioned Rebel Hearts. We also mentioned all the other young ballad groups who were emerging out there like uh, Tumbling Paddies and uh, the Whistling Donkeys and all these various groups uh, as well. But thank you for that. 83 311 Now it looks like Ali is doing a world tour of Tipperary today. So far she's been in uh, the horse and jockey. Uh, where are you now, Ali? I'm in Dahl now this morning, Fran. Uh, it's a busy and stressful morning on tip today <laughs> this morning, but thankfully I'm in the right place this morning because Excellent. here in Dahl I am at the Irish Heart Foundation. They have a mobile unit set up here just beside the church in the community hall where they'll be conducting screening all day. And the good news is it's a walk-in screening. And to tell us more, I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Mulcahy from the Irish Heart Foundation. Peter, good morning. Good morning, Alison. And uh, good morning to all your listeners on T- Tip FM. And welcome to Tipperary. Tell us, what's the purpose of being here today? Well, we've been asked to come here from Dewhill Community Centre to do um, healthy heart checks on the whole community and all the different groups that use the community centre here. So. We're delighted to be here today. And it's all being done in the van that you have here today and you can't miss it because it's bright red and has the Irish Heart Foundation on it. Tell us, what is the procedure in getting a check or a screening? Well, today we're doing blood pressure checks and we're doing pulse checks. And then there could be a few lifestyle questions that the nurses might ask the clients, you know, and then there could be a bit of a chat with the nurse afterwards, you know, depending on the conversation. So, you know. So is it just kind of the cuff like you'd normally have at a GP or is it more than that? Exactly. It's yeah. a blood pressure cuff. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And what are you hoping to learn then from that? Well, we can gather from the individual, you know, from either the pulse or the blood pressure, if there might be anything underlying, yeah. whether it could be something simple, maybe somebody didn't sleep well that night or they could be anxious or, you know, few different various things, you know. And what's the importance then of having a mobile screening unit as opposed to maybe someone going into their GP to getting it checked? Well, you see, we can get to areas where, you know, 
like rural areas or places where there might be, you know, pressure on services, you know, on GP services, which, you know, around the country there is at the moment. So we find wherever we go, we're very welcome. You know, people are delighted to see us and, you know, the service that we provide and we can kind of, we create an awareness so we can catch some people early, which is fantastic. Yeah. How long have you been operating the mobile element of the screening programme? Well, as far as I know, it's going since 2016. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And a big take up? Oh, huge. Massive. As you yeah. can see today, yeah. you know, <laughs> we, have a, we have a good few people here, you know, looking forward to getting their, their checks. So, yeah, everywhere we go, we're very popular. And the important thing to say as well is you don't have to book in, you can just arrive on. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, when we go to different areas, when we're asked to come to the Irish Heart Foundation, it's a free service. Yeah. So people can arrive, you know. It's yeah. free, yeah. And someone who just got theirs checked is Brendan Keating from the Community Council here in Dahl. Well, Brendan, how's it going? Morning, Bad Alison. news or good you? news? Oh, very good news, yeah. Good man. I'm delighted with it. <laughs> um, you are involved in a bit of sport, we'll say cycling, myself and uh, the local club here, South Tip Cycling Club. Yeah. And we go out cycling regularly, so it's good for the head and good for the, the body, as the fellow said. How did you find the procedure? Is it just the same as you'd go to a GP Absolutely. and get the cuff on? Absolutely, not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah. Not a, no problem at all, yeah. Just go in and get the cuff on and just check the heart rate and that. Everything yeah. is... Find there, yeah. is, is it something you get checked fairly often? You're only uh, a young fellow. I'm only a young fellow. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Looks can be receptive. <laughs> no, I get checked. I get blood checked uh, annually. We'll say once a year. We'll say yeah. just we keep an eye on things. We'll say keep an eye on on, on um, cholesterol and all that type of stuff. We'll say and, and heart. We'll say and get it checked. Um, no, it's important to get it checked once a year. I think anyway yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it the first time you've had the mobile unit here in Dahl? Well, the first time that I can recollect has been here anyway. Yeah, say, yeah it's the first time I've ever seen it here. Yeah. It's it's a great idea to have. Uh, Lena Ryan as well is with us. Uh, you'll know Lena Fran, of course, a great friend of the show, a great friend of Tip FM and also part of Dahil uh, Dramatic Society as well. Uh, Lena, you were showing me around the hall here. Fantastic facility. I mean, it's always hopping, isn't it? This is a fantastic... This morning going on in the hall is full with a, a yoga class and there's a second one for the elderly, which is a chair yoga. Kathleen Loney is here to do that. Yeah, the hall is always always packed and that's made possible by a wonderful community council, really led by the Maloney family. They live just down the road here. They have a key. It's always available. But anything that you want to go on, they will try and facilitate it. Now, they're not always the easiest to deal with, but they do try very hard and very accommodating. So that's what She's right it. here now. That's why you're saying that, being bowled. <laughs> yes, that's right. But, you know, um, it, it, it's the focal point for the community. Yeah. It's an old school hall that has huge amount of history. It's right beside the church. But, you know, um, and it is magnificent for the area. And anything that goes on here, Alison, which I think is because the Maloney family are so intrinsic here in it, it, the whole community uh, join in mm-hmm. and are involved in it. They had a whole walk and, and uh, wellness week this week. Things going on all week, hugely supported. A lot of it done for various charities and there's a lot of charity events that go on here. But it's a co- it really is a community hall and a community spirit here like I have never known yeah. anywhere else. So it's and fabulous. it's great to see that health and well-being is such a focal point of that when you see the van here as well today. It's not just about having shows for local groups. I mean, it's about the well-being of and, its community. And I think that's hugely important in yeah. the rural area because sometimes people are afraid because this call is so welcoming. People can drive past and think, I'll run in there, nobody will see me, nobody will know whether I have a heart or I don't have a heart. So yeah. it's much more welcome and much more easy for people to do it, as yeah. you can see from the number of people here this morning. Absolutely. Also joining me here then as well is uh, Pat Rossiter, who's chairman of the Dramatic Society as well. Are you on the way in or on the way out, Pat? I'm just hanging in there. No. <laughs> I'm okay. Did you get your pressure checked? I did. I know I'm just coming since. So Thank I'm God. Okay.
Thank God. <laughs> Tell me about the Dramatic Society. I know it's a busy time for Dramatic Societies is, across the um, country. We're just starting to rehearse now for our new play, uh, Widow's Paradise. Wow. So uh, it's a big cast, 11. So we're having, we have a small stage, like so we're renovating at the moment, trying to get it up and running. Great. So we're going flying. How many members do you have then with the Dramatic Society? Oh, well, about, we'd have all, probably 15, I suppose, in all, like, Great. you know. And growing all the time? Growing all the time, yeah. Uh, yeah. We had uh, several different directors. We had uh, Brenda Mahoney from Samuel, Justin Erwin, and Michael Pollard. And now we have uh, we had uh, Catherine McVicker as well. And now we have uh, Will Nugent. Yeah. Is with us. So. Fantastic. Well, wish you all the best with it for the upcoming season anyway. Can, can I just jump in there as I usually do, Alison? Yeah. We, we are looking for a young man to play a oh. small part at the moment. How young is young, Lena? Oh, as young as possible. Right. <laughs> no, I mean between the ages of 20 and 40. But we also welcome always new members. Yeah. But the, the, our, our play is very specific and we would welcome uh, interest from anybody. Yeah. They can follow us on Facebook or contact Pat or any member of the cast. You know, um, and it's, it's, it's a great show. And the funny thing is, it's set in a caravan so uh, it'll be very very good and uh, you know we're going a long time so if there's anybody out there that would be interested you know get in touch yeah she put it out there there you were all listening michael is here as well michael you're a local resident um how encouraging is it to see things like this in, in rural communities and the Irish Heart foundation traveling around for screening good morning Alison. yeah i just called down here to my local hall just to um, get the, the free screening here kindly put on by the irish heart foundation yeah it's, it's great absolutely as you can see here, we're, we're, we're in a rural area and it's lovely to be able to get a service like this yeah. to, to come to our doorstep. I'm similar to Brendan in, in the sense that I do a bit of cycling as well with South Tip Cycling Club. So it's nice to just check out, make sure everything is, yeah. is, is working heart-wise as well, you know, because we, we do do uh, quite a bit of training. And as part of Wellness Week that was going on in here, as, as you touched on uh, previously, we had our own... So to put on a, a 20k introductory cycle to try and get you know new pe new Great. people involved in that yeah. yesterday and it went off really really well so we had a lovely little 20k spin so well and that's what it's all about trying to get more par you know participation in that and the hall facilitates that I know Elena alluded to it as well it's a, it's a fantastic community here mm. anything that you want to put on and you know in relation to a f function on the hall is all, is always facilitated. And I think the, a lovely asset to that this week was the, was the wellness week. And yeah. there was something for everybody in it, be it walking, cycling, yoga, you, you, you name it, to, yeah. to, to mention about a few of the activities that were on here this week and all well supported. Absolutely. And it's great to see. And there is yoga going on in the hall at the moment. Peter, though, if I finish up with you, if there are other communities like Dahl who are looking to have this screening van brought to their area, how can they do that? Well, if they contact, if they go onto our website, irishheart.ie, they'll see all the contact names there and okay. they can just send an email and request us mm. you know because it's great i mean in this day and age unfortunately where it can be kind of difficult to get a gp appointment pretty quickly i mean here you can get something done which might give you a bit of peace of mind anyway or set the basis for maybe medical or healthcare going forward absolutely Pe people have fears natural fears you know none of us like getting checked you know there's that kind of yeah. feeling that we're getting tested but the majority of the people, they come out and, like you said, they have a bit of peace of mind. Yeah. You know, they be, could be worrying about something in the background. And that's why it's great that we can get to these communities. Yeah. You know, that are kind of not hidden away, but, 
you know, the services aren't there that they have in the bigger towns. Yeah. So so it's there for them. Yeah. Well, it's great to talk to everyone here in Dohal this morning. Uh, so it's a walk-in, as we mentioned. You don't have to book in. So they're parked up here till half two today, I believe, isn't it? 2.30 today. So if you're in the area and you need to get your blood pressure checked, or indeed if you just want to, it's a great facility here, here at Dohal, until half two today. Back to you in studio. Thanks, Ali. But Mike was on to us and he's wondering, could you shift the blood pressure check to the horse and jockey? He thinks it might be very useful down there. So, <laughs> Yeah, actually, uh, Peter, they're saying given the protest that's happening up in Horse and Jockey today, you might have a good few customers up there. It might be worth <laughs> a trip. He might stop there on the way back, Fred. All right, cool. Thanks very much indeed, Ali. That's Ali out and about for us uh, in Duhill uh, right now. 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie When it's sunny in Ireland, you might think to yourself it's a good time to slather on the Factor 50 or join the queue for the ice cream van. But did you know it's also a good time to pop on a wash or run the dishwasher? Because when it's sunny out, there's more renewable electricity being produced, which means it's a good time to use your electrical appliances. To learn more about the best times to use your electrical appliances and get energy-saving tips and information, visit esbnetworks.ie slash weather. ESB Networks, delivering the electricity network for everyone's clean electric future. Aldi is back at the National Ploughing Championships in Rathaniska County Leash from the 19th to the 21st of September. Meet our award-winning suppliers and sample their incredible products. Enjoy special guest appearances and much, much more from Ireland's most reputable supermarket. You can also catch the finals of the National Brown Bread Baking Competition and be there when the Grow with Aldi 2023 winners are announced. Told you it'd be intense. Or a marquee anyway. See you there. Aldi, everyday Irish, everyday amazing. A Million Medleys, the superb new show from Michael English. A special concert of globally loved million-selling hits that will leave you wanting more. Each song better than the next. And you'll want to sing along with every single song. A concert not to be missed. So get your tickets now. Michael English, A Million Medleys Tour. Coming to Talbot Hotel Clonmel, Sunday, October 8th. Tickets €30 Euro plus booking fee from Hotel Reception and michaelenglish.ie. At Thurless Credit Union, in a in addition to their traditional loans, you can borrow larger loans over a longer period. Car loans, home improvement loans, green energy loans and farming loans are all priced very competitively. Call Thurless Credit Union or for more, check out their new website, thurlesscu.ie. Thurless Credit Union is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Time now for Global Politics and uh, glad to be joined as usual on a Monday by politics and economics student uh, Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to see you today. We cannot speak about global events, I suppose, without making reference to that great tragedy that unfolded over the weekend in uh, Morocco, of course. I, I think it's about 2,100 people dead and rising. Something around that, yeah. that's the approximate figure. It's a devastating scenario, Fran. It really is a desperate scenario. And I think what has aggravated it, what has made it worse, is the fact that it has struck a relatively uh, poor area of yeah. the country near the Atlas Mountains. The Atlas Mountains, this towering mountain range in the north of Morocco, in the north, it stretches across 
the north northern plateau of the country uh, a lot of small rural communities there which would have inadequate resources and facilities anyway they've now been struck by this earthquake there's been mass destruction mass devastation we've heard accounts of people sleeping outside on the streets sleeping rough essentially overnight uh, it really is it's a devastating scenario for all involved isn't it just give us a sense of the country first of all Thomas if you would Morocco yeah, I was taking a look at looking at it, facts and figures about it this morning. You know, it's a country of about 38 million people. Uh, quite a, it's known as a tourist haven, known mm. as a tourist destination. A lot of people will be familiar traveling to the lights of Marrakesh to Agadir, which is the other city. So it's quite popular among tourists, and it relies on tourism for a large part of its economic activity. It's it's a big economic component there. Uh, politically speaking. It kind of came out better off after the Arab Spring of 2011. If we reverse back to 2011 and think of the Arab Spring, Mm. which was this wave of democratic uprisings across the north of Africa and the Middle East, a lot of the countries involved in that regressed subsequently. So there might have been elements of democracy creeping in. A lot of them kind of went backwards in the years subsequent to that. Morocco didn't really. It kind of established... uh, what I would describe as a quasi-democratic system of government. It's a constitutional monarchy, which means the head of state is a is a monarch, is a king, King Mohammed the uh, Sixth. But it also has a prime minister and an executive government. Right. So, so similar to the UK to si- some extent. To some extent. To yeah. some extent. Now there are problems. There's endemic corruption. Yes. There are problems like that which we associate, we would be familiar with when it comes to African countries. But it has. It's certainly more stable than a lot of countries. I look at the the general trend of the countries in that region, the likes of Tunisia, Egypt, and Morocco is certainly a lot more stable. The Economist Democracy Unit, for instance, labels it as a hybrid regime. So that's a, a democratic regime with elements of autocracy or authoritarianism, whichever way you want to put it. So it's somewhere in the middle. It's not quite a... It's not quite a true democracy, but it's not an authoritarian regime either. It's somewhere in the middle of those two yeah, those two extremes. Interesting country. I took the ferry from southern Spain across many, many, many years ago, and I was trying to rack my brains for memories of it. But the, the main memory I have is huge numbers of, of people in on top of you and stuff and, you know, trying to get you to buy this and that and the other thing, you know. But lots of people, lots of population. Yeah, I would ima- and I would imagine, and I haven't been myself, I'll, I'll admit, but, I mean, any account I've heard of the place is this bustling, yeah. uh, frenetic market yeah. town and market cities with people teeming across from everywhere. It also, it is worth noting, it is home to migrant detention centres. A lot of the migrants which would come across from Africa, uh, from the Middle East, would depart from countries like Morocco and Tunisia. And as a result, you have these migrant detention centres which have sprung up in the country. The human rights organisations have been highly critical of them, of the conditions there. Uh, it's, it's, I suppose, a blessing that none of them have been implicated in this current crisis, or at least I haven't heard of that, uh, yeah, that the earthquake hasn't struck those areas. And speaking of what, I mean, it was a very comprehensive 
um, uh, earthquake indeed. And with technology the way it is, I mean, was there any warning about well, this? Well, you would imagine so, and you would imagine, and we referenced it just off air, the, the earthquake in Turkey earlier sure. this year, that there should be early warning or early detection systems, but they clearly were not in place. Now, Morocco isn't a place, I think, that suffers earthquakes very regularly, but surely a natural disaster of this scale, of this gravity, people should be looking out for it. People should be prepared for it and prepared for its effects and after effects. And that does not seem to be the case. Now, it'll be very interesting to see how the government handles it. I was looking at a profile of the Prime Minister, Aziz Akanoush is his name. He served in office since 2021, former billionaire politician, or billionaire businessman, rather. Uh, he is now head of the government there. It will be very interesting to see his response to the crisis and the response of King Mohammed VI, how yeah. well they handled the scenario because it is a really, it, it's a, going to be a sensitive scenario now. We saw the, the effects the earthquake had in Turkey, the effect it had on Erdogan's popularity even though he did secure the presidency afterwards in the election, but it hurt him without doubt. So will this be the same in Morocco? Yeah. It'll be and, very interesting. And it's interesting to see where aid is going to come from and how quickly that aid will get there as well, because already there's concerns around that. Yeah, and international actors will be will be particularly will be critical, will be of huge importance, of crucial importance. You think of Morocco, it depends to a certain extent on foreign aid. Mm. Its economy is is stable, as I mentioned before, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have holes and holes in its budget and its expenditure, which it needs to fill with investment from from countries in the European Union, from countries in the West more broadly, America, its allies, and they will all need to channel funds into Morocco in order to help alleviate the distress of the people involved in this crisis, and there are many. And in the meantime, as you say, you know, people already in poverty suffering greatly. Some of the photographs in the newspapers today just... Are shocking, are shocking. There's no other way to describe them. That's for sure. Um, Okay, on to other uh, matters uh, then. And uh, Kim Jong-un, who gets uh, quite a few mentions on on your slot, uh, Thomas, but a relationship with Putin and what's... What's that about? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is worrying, isn't it? I mean, two two tyrannical demagogues, really, uh, in charge of their respective countries, in charge of countries which are pariah states now. Mm-hmm. Russia and North Korea are pariah states in the international system. They've been isolated out of a lot of global uh, global payment systems, global relations to a certain extent. And there appears to be... Uh, an alliance developing between the two of them. Now, it is very interesting to see how this will play out and how this will play out in the months and weeks to come. We had the G7, or the G20 summit, rather, in India over the weekend. Vladimir Putin was not present at that. Worth mentioning, neither was Xi Jinping. And China has been an ally of North Korea as well as Russia. So we had this G20 summit at the weekend. We had a joint declaration at the end of it, which failed to explicitly condemn the war in Ukraine. It was kind of, its language was lukewarm. It was soft, I think. Uh, I certainly wasn't impressed with it. But now we have this burgeoning relationship between North Korea and Russia, and it mm. really is a source of concern. So what are we talking, are we talking about arms weaponry here? Is that Th- is That, that is specifically about? what we're talking, when we talk about Kim Jong-un, invariably we're talking about nuclear weapons yes. and the development of nuclear technology. And in this instance, his support 
could be tra- Putin essentially is looking for Kim's support. He's looking for Kim's support from a financial perspective, uh, from a from a military aid perspective, and in return, Kim is demanding certain things in return. One of that would be nuclear technology and nuclear secrets essentially he wants to know how he can develop his nuclear weapon system to become more advanced to become more lethal he's already done it to a certain extent he's already launched a number of new missiles a number of new devices if you like Uh, the next step apparently is a nuclear powered submarine which he is hoping to develop in the near future and he's looking to get crucial intelligence off russia uh, crucial in this is the kind of the procurement of the knowledge and the expertise to actually develop these weapons, to to have the know-how to. Scary. It's scary. scary it's scary stuff. stuff. It is scary. How stuff. are they feeling in South Korea about this? South Korea are feeling worried, and yeah. I mean the North, the South obviously cooperates with the United States. It cooperates with Japan. It has it has its own alliance down there. But certainly any developments like this up in the north of the country are worrying because South Korea is effectively the front line. Uh, You know, it is North Korea's nearest neighbour. Its relations have been rocky over the period since the Korean War. They've stabilised at times. There was a period recently when it seemed like maybe there was a bit of a detente, a bit of a cooling in the relationship between the two. That has kind of faded now. Kim Jong-un has retreated back into his shell, retreated back into isolation, and is now cutting an increasingly isolated figure. There are rumours that he may meet Russian President Vladimir Putin in the Russian city of Vladivostok, which is in on the eastern fringes. No, I, I thought he doesn't like to, to travel. He doesn't like to travel. And this is a, the last time he did travel, he travelled in kind of an armoured train, yeah. which was this, you know, major... Trump, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it, was, yeah, yeah. it was really, really peculiar and really, uh, really startling to see him trotting through the landscape in this big armoured train. There are rumours he will attempt to do so again. He's a man who clearly fears for his own safety outside of his own country. He fears for his own country's prospects as well because North Korea, we must remember, is home to deeply entrenched levels of poverty and endemic corruption in the political system, but there is huge poverty across the country. There's been the threat of famine there, uh, all sorts of humanitarian catastrophes looming ever since the COVID pandemic. And it was it was the COVID pandemic really that damaged the country in many, many ways. It forced it to become more isolated, forced it to become uh, even more of a pariah state than it was previously, and it has left a legacy. And now North Korea is is as much a pariah as it has ever been. It is isolated. It is uh, a state which not has very few friends in the international system. It's hard to know which way it will look in the years to come. It's going to be very interesting because their positioning, as you said, between Russia and China is is uh, interesting. Is crucial. Uh, yeah, is crucial. Is, and yeah. and that positioning, that positioning there is, you know, it is it, very interesting from an international relations perspective because North Korea is situated there. It has positioned itself in between China and Russia. It's an ally of both. How long it will remain an ally of both remains uncertain because China, as we've seen, can dispense with its allies. Russia, of course, needs as many friends as it can in this current landscape because it doesn't have many. So it'll be very interesting to see how that relationship dynamic 
plays out. It'd be very interesting to see what the Japanese make of this as well. Yeah, they're there as well. They're another actor in the fold, yeah. another Western country, so to speak. Yes, you know, but North Korea has been aggravating them over a period of time now, haven't Over they? a period yeah. of time with yeah. nuclear weapons yeah. tests. I mean, Kim Jong-un, is no, he really doesn't hold back, does he? I mean, he will run these nuclear tests, he'll run them in provocative areas, uh, provocative actions, and he is not afraid to... Uh, to really startle countries, particularly in its in its hinterland, in that kind of Japan South Korea hinterland, so it's a it's a very sensitive situation from a Japanese perspective, and will have to be handled with care as well. And and just briefly before we move on, and because you look into this kind of thing so uh, with such depth, um, it's a very dangerous world, isn't it? It's a very dangerous world we're living in, and I don't want to scare people, but I mean, nuclear weapons are nuclear weapons. And they're at the greatest threat since they were, since the Cold War, since that Cuban missile crisis yeah. in the early 60s. We haven't seen nuclear technology used in in battlefields as of yet. But, I mean, we have Vladimir Putin hinting at a potential use of some kind of nuclear weapon, some kind of small-scale tactical nuke in Ukraine. Were that to happen, that would unleash a can of worms. It would open up a, a Pandora's box if you like, uh, and could result in major catastrophe. We are living in a dangerous world. Now, there are treaties there. There are treaties mm. which countries are supposed to adhere to. You have the New START Treaty, which is a, a treaty on short-range missiles. You have a treaty on intermediate-range missiles, which Trump actually pulled out of during his time in office. Biden entered back into. So there are safeguards that have been put in place. But it's looking increasingly fragile isn't at this moment in time. Indeed. We ask you to look at a historical figure every time we speak, uh, Thomas. And I was telling you last time round off air that I was reading a little bit about Warren Harding, the UK, uh, the United States president. Um, not much known about him, I suppose. Lesser known leader? Not much known. And he only spent a couple of years in office. Yeah. He, he died in office, actually, in 1923. Uh, it was the subject of much coverage. He died... Kind of as a result of a long-term illness, a chronic illness, but it was still a surprise, no less, to the and American a, And a public. lot of conspiracy around it. A, a lot, lot of, of conspiracy around it. And his legacy, he was actually quite popular as mm. a president in office. He came into power in or around 1921 until his death in 1923. Leader of the Republican Party, one of the most popular sitting presidents in US history. And that contrasts with his popularity and the years after his death, it was kind of tainted posthumously. Uh, he became kind of a, a a lampoon figure in American yes. media circles because of various controversies, various scandals, various extramarital affairs, and stuff like that. Romance uh, was a you know was something he he actively engaged in. But he is a very interesting character, and he lived a he lived a, a very interesting. He lived a hometown life. He was mm. from the state of Ohio. Uh, spent much of his life in Ohio and even throughout his presidential campaign decided to spend much of it within his home state uh, wooing people from 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 the confines of his home state uh, whilst other candidates mm. trekked and travelled across the country uh, in search of in search of votes he had well at least one child with a mistress didn't he at least um, one child that's well documented that's well documented and came out after after his death he had an extramarital affair with Carrie Fulton Phillips 
uh, of Marion in Ohio. And mm. Marion was his home place in Ohio where he spent much of his life. He was deeply, he was in love with his home state of Ohio. It has to be said, it must be said, we have to acknowledge that. But he was also in love with several women. Uh, Carrie Fulton Phillips was one of these. Uh, there was also another one, non-Britain or non-Britain. Uh, it was a relationship with her that's, that eventually resulted in in, we think, a child. Yeah. Uh, they aren't certain. There was at least one of them there, certainly. Uh, there may have been more of them. And this this all unraveled in the years after his death, which is kind of amazingly peculiar when you think about it, that none of it bubbled to the surface during his time during as presidency. His time. Well, a lot of speculation on why, why that is and who his sponsors and backers were, because the backdrop to his presidency was prohibition, of course, and, you know, I suppose America um, emerging from, from the First World War. Fra- emerging right. from yeah. the First World War, which was he came at a critical time, you yeah. know. League of Nations had just been established. America had just come out. Woodrow Wilson had been in power. America had just emerged from the First World War. They were trying to establish a new multilateral world order. And Harding was at the at the core of this. He was the American president. He was the man at the centre of it all. And he did his best. He did his best in terms of foreign policy. Uh, he was very much a, a multilateral figure, like uh, intent on engaging with others and befriending mm. his partners in the international landscape. From a domestic political perspective, he was quite popular, as I mentioned earlier on, unleashed a string of economic policies, tax cuts. He was a Republican president, we'll we'll have to remind you, Mm. you know, I must remind you, which means he would be inclined towards these tax cuts and stuff like that. Uh, But he lived, uh, his presidency was brief, but it was impactful, is how I would describe it. Yeah, there's some very interesting... If people want to chase up on him, there's all sorts of conspiracy theories around, around as I say, his sponsorship and one thing and another. But anyway, it's, it's really... But the other thing that's very interesting is that we think that um, the scandals in, in American presidency is relatively recent, I suppose, from Nixon up with, with yeah. you know, all the other actors Trump, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but of course, it was going on. It, right, I mean, right. this was this was right, going right, on behind right. the scenes, and I have no doubt that there were many other, many other American presidents who had similar, uh, similar backstories and similar yeah. uh, tales occurring behind the scenes. But it is amazing to think that uh, the person with the, you know, the the most powerful man, man on the planet essentially can get away with this kind of stuff and was able to get away with this kind of stuff in office. But it just shows that they are human, like you and me. Which are uh, yes. And uh, it, I mean, it appeared during his presidency that Kennedy was godlike. And look at all that emerges about him. Look at all that emerges about, about him. You know, you know, there are numerous, there are several tales from several American presidents and yeah. their backstories are fascinating like that. You could write, and books have been written on them. Books yeah. have been written on. There's plenty of information out there if people want to go that's, seeking that's it. That's for sure. What should we be looking out for in the coming week, Thomas? Well, we had the Rugby World Cup in France kicking off this weekend. Of course, another big sporting event coming to France within the next year, the Olympic Games. And President Macron has been out in force saying that there would be no Russian flags at the 2024 Olympics. He's right, I think. I think there's been a lot of controversy about Russian stars, Russian sporting athletes competing in world events. I think when it comes to an event with the prestige of the Olympics, of the Olympic Games and the global media covering, uh, Russia has to be exposed. It can't uh, it can't be allowed to just walk in and compete in these games uh, unhindered. And that's essentially what Macron is saying. He said that Russian athletes may be able to compete, but it would be alongside a neutral banner. Uh, so unless something changes radically, 
that is the the stance mm. the French president is going for. And, uh, and do you think that Russian athletes will compete under that sort of a a banner? Do you think it's it it, it remains to be seen. I think yes. a lot of them will. I think a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, would have been training hard. Some with maybe one of the more hardline views who support the war uh, will stand back and and stay true to their ideals. But I think a lot of them are are lukewarm on the war, are lukewarm on the invasion. A lot of them would operate within kind of the Western sphere in terms of competitions and international competitors and that. I think they will choose to to perform in the Olympics regardless of whether Russia is accepted or not. But it is a particularly interesting situation and we can take a look at it in more details as you know, as yes. it approaches closer to the time. The European Commission president uh, as well, we need to look out for what she's yeah, up to. Yeah, a, a new term as president. Will she stay on? Ursula von der Leyen, this is the woman they're talking about. They're talking about her as a new secretary, secretary general of NATO, which is a particularly interesting position. The main man there, Jens Stoltenberg, is due to step down in another while and they're saying maybe von der Leyen will take over. That, of course, will open up a key position in Europe and I don't know about you, but I can think of a, a few Irish heads who would be bopping around well, there. Well, I'll be speaking to Hall Martin on the programme tomorrow. If you... Well, you can ask him directly from me. You can yes. tell him Thomas Conway was just wondering uh, <laughs> indeed, would yes. he be interested in the Commission presidency. Yeah. Uh, he all could sorts well, of speculation around that. All sorts here, of speculation. Yeah. All sorts of speculation. Even speculation around Leo as well. Yeah. Uh, there are a number of figures, but there are a number of figures across Europe. I think what is likely to dictate this will be the European elections next year and what way they pan out. Uh, if there is a, a strong showing in support of, of we'll say, the centre-right European mm. parties, the European People's Party, it's likely we'll have another candidate from them. If there's a candidate from the left, if the left do particularly well, that candidate, uh, then they will probably put forward a candidate. So it depends a lot on which way these elections uh, pan right, out but, in the coming weeks we were to or in the coming months. Predict the European elections. I think the right will probably the right will make, probably make prevail or will probably showing, do yeah. as well as anyone. And it could be the yeah. far right, which is which is worrying. And you know, it doesn't bode well necessarily for uh, for European politics that we see these far right parties creeping into power but it is the way it is the general trend in which things are flowing. Might be well worth a quick mention as well of what's happening in uh, Mexico as well with the abortion issue there. Yeah and a court has decriminalised abortion yes. across Mexico Mexico, as as you said there uh, it's, it's a particularly interesting judgement it comes two years after the court ruled in favour of a challenge to the existing no- law in one of the northern states Coahuila so yes. this is a very interesting development and it's a I Catholic, suppose, very much a Catholic cult very much there, a Catholic yeah. country yeah. Like, like a lot of Latin American countries mm. and Southern American countries huge Catholic ethos huge Catholic following in the country so it has been controversial but Mexico is a country undergoing rapid change and it is also on the cusp of a potentially historic presidential election. It's on the cusp of electing a female president for the first time in its history. The current president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, AMLO they call him for short, is coming to the end of his term uh, as president and a presidential election is due. There are two female candidates. Luisa González is one of them. And Claudia Scheinbaum is the... Uh, is the main front runner. Uh, so much, much to watch. So there, much to sure. watch there, and she will certainly be a, a figure we'll hear a lot more about. All right, Thomas, always a pleasure. Pleasure, Fran. Thank indeed. you. News and information is coming up. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. You're very welcome back to Tip Today. Um, uh, Tom was on to us from Dundrum and he has a gag for us today. He says, a uh, man attending his doctor regularly with blood pressure issues, Fran. Doctor eventually asked him if there was a history of blood pressure in his family. The patient told him he figured it was from his wife's side. The doctor said it couldn't be so. The patient said, try living with my mother-in-law for a week. Boom, boom. There you go. That's in from Tom in Dundrum to cheer us up. Um, uh, this morning, eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Now for this week's walks and talks, uh, John G and Ali are in Aherlow with a very special guest. Okay, John, where are we this week? Well, this week time, I know where we are. Definitely, we're in the Glen of Aherlow, and you must think a beautiful autumnal day, isn't Glen of Aherlow on a day like that? Isn't the nearest thing you can get to heaven? And that's a mention. That's probably an introduction to our next guest. Anyway, he'll probably get <laughs> us there as well. So uh, it's fantastic here. It's beautiful, and uh, you know. E- you know, you, I'm sure you think this must be the greatest job in the world when you're sent out on days like this to come to places like this and not be in an office. But where we are is we're at the site of Ballinacorty House. And Ballinacorty House was, firstly, it was the Dawson family and they were Cromwellian planters who, you know, would have uh, got or taken the land or whatever, but certainly wouldn't have paid for it. And they would have been adventurous. That was the only way Cromwell could pay them was to actually... Uh, give them land. So they came here and then a lot of them, when they wouldn't have a male issue, the name would tend to change and so you got a, the uh, Massey-Dawson family and eventually you had the Massey-Dawson-Saunders family. Now, the, here then, there was tremendous, it was a really turbulent time during this, the, civil, the War of Independence and the Civil War. It's fair to say, I think, that the Glen was a hotbed of republicanism and during that period then, uh, during the Civil War, the Republican forces, the anti-treaty forces, withdrew out here. They were driven out of Tip Town, and then not to allow, or that's what they said anyway, not to allow the pro-treaty forces to get uh, take by the Courtney House. They burned it down. But Massey Dawson Saunders had long ago fled before that because there had been an assault on his life. But what's interesting is this. 19, this period was a time of of huge ferment across Europe and communism had just taken over in Russia and there was tremendous fear among some and tremendous hope among others that it would spread worldwide because there was no doubt that workers were really oppressed. But, down, but then what happened down here then was there was a run of radicalism right through Limerick in 1919, 1920, 1921 and they would take over businesses and they would run up a red flag and say we are taking this on behalf of the workers and we're going to run it. Now that was easier said than done and uh, generally it didn't continue but in 1922 here the workers went in and they took over Cleves Creamery and they took over the Massey Dawson sawmills and said we're going to run these as workers republics. Now That's incredible. Isn't it incredible? I mean you think you're a red flag down, down here. It's absolutely incredible that they would have taken it over in that way. So then the problem was, though, that what you're speaking about here is one thing, the 
pro-treaty and anti-treaty forces might have hated each other, but one thing in common, they were conservative. They were basically from a Catholic landed background, and they were Catholics, and they went back to, they might have a tiffs with the church, but they went back to being Catholics afterwards. They had no use for the development of communism here. This was just a radical group who would have been following people like James Connolly. They had no use for that whatsoever, and so they were politely told this was not a good idea, and that was the end of the of communism in the Glen. But you see, it's so How peaceful. How long did it last for? I'd, I'd say it only lasted maybe a couple of weeks at the very most. But there was over in Knocklong Creamery, they put up a big sign outside it, took over Cleves Creamery and put up a big sign: "We produce butter, not profits." Wow! And there you are. So look, we'll move on now further up the Glen, where we'll get a, a brilliant view of the mountains, and then I think we have a fantastic guests to, uh, to, to introduce you to. I think it won't be stuck for words. Oh, fantastic. Let's go ahead. Okay, John, a beautiful walk up and it brings us to uh, a scene and a vista, I think, that'll be familiar to many in the county and that's here at Arlo House. Yeah, and not all hill walkers either. Yeah. People who have been here for weddings and other family celebrations and, of course, the uh, Arlo House here is a wonderful facility here in the Glen and I suppose it keeps the Glen alive. But actually what it was, was we mentioned the Massey Dawson's earlier on and they uh, their house was burned, we mentioned that, at Balnacorti, but they had a hunting lodge up here and with some of the money they got from the state as compensation for the damage they extended this and they lived then I think here up into the 1940s then when a German family took it over and then after that I understand in the, in the 1970s it became a hotel in fact I was at a wedding here I remember I'm showing my age now in 1978 and it was beautiful then and it's beautiful now and it's still going and it's great to see because we know in the hospitality industry the difficulties that many businesses face so to have uh, a place like this in such a rural location that's still thriving and still attracting visitors all the time is great to see. It's fantastic. I mean, when we go out for a walk, it's just so fantastic to pop in here as well as that. And it's great to keep it going because, you know, when you're out here, it's it's a highly seasonal business. So you have to work hard to keep it going in the winter as well as that. But of course, the surroundings are absolutely to die for around here. And what we're going to do now is we're going to walk up and there's a beautiful forest here. And that's one of the things the Massey Dawson's and others left behind they left these beautiful natural woodlands and I looked at the maps here going back a hundred years ago and there were so much woodlands here, in fact it was actually serving the sawmills which ultimately where the Soviets uh, started down there where they took over the sawmills we're going to walk up through that and the local community have lovingly put walks in there and maintained the whole area, it's going to be a lovely walk and then we're going to go up to that wonderful viewing pine, Christ the King statue, and we have a great guest to meet there. Oh, I look forward to it. Let's go. Now. John, I have to say, I think out of all the walks and talks we've done this season, we've probably got the best weather for this one, and thank <laughs> <Absolutely>. God. Absolutely. <laughs> After being absolutely soaked <laughs> and rained on and blown away and everything else, at last fortune has smiled on us. And was, wasn't I right? Isn't that forest that's maintained by the local community, isn't it, wasn't it a fantastic Beautiful. walk? And the leaves just slowly starting to turn now, the colours coming in. On and the them. popularity shows because the car park here of a, a Tuesday morning, is it's fairly busy here. <laughs> 
isn't that absolutely people yeah. people come out to the Glen and why wouldn't they a magical view and I'm just looking up there then and remember in the Cumberlands we talked about all the old Irish names yeah. well if you look up there Temple Hill so that would be now I don't know where it was maybe our guest will tell us Knock Chumple it would be called that would be the, the mountain of the, the church right then you'd move over you have the the highest one there Lyra Goppel the confluence of the horse again maybe our guests will be able to tell us something on that uh, Corrigabina again this is the great thing I think about Irish if you take something uh, like Manchester or Birmingham the name tells you nothing about the place. Mm. All of these tell you something about the place. Corrig Abina, the rock near the, the peak. Cush Abina, the, uh, the peak that is beside the, 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 the peak, if you get what I'm saying. Then you come over here, obviously Galtie Moor, that is the, the high Galtie, Galtie Beg, the little Galtie, and then Cush is near the two of them, so it's beside it. Below it, Glen Cushabina, which tells us this is the Glen beside the peak. And then we go over Green Anne, probably the sunny place. And I, I'd imagine one thing, though, is that maybe in the evenings, your side of the Galtie gets side, the sun. Yeah. And then <laughs> in the little stack. But I'm delighted now we've come along here and our guest has just come along here with us and it's fantastic. And I'll have to tell you a little story, you see. You're a bit into uh, uh, the Iman but I'd say around the year you were born, right? Galway got to an All-Ireland final. And there was a great story about it because there was a father Iggy on the team, right? right. And priests up to that weren't allowed hurl, but now they were. Things were relaxing. So father Iggy then was in my mind and yeah, he was there, then he got injured and that. Then I heard after a while, you know, a few pronouncements from Father Iggy. I said, God, he's gone a bit radical. And the next thing he was above in Drogheda, you know, this kind of thing. And he's getting even more radical. And then suddenly I realised, no, would you believe there are actually two Father Iggy's around the place? And it's not the Father Iggy Clark, it's the other Father Iggy who's here. But I didn't know, I was listening to him then on, on the radio sometimes. Then I came up here and I met Michael Maroney. And he told me that... Father Iggy, he says, our Father Iggy, he says, he came here from the Glen. And I said, he was kind of radical. I said, and he, I said, uh, you know, what's background here, he says. I, uh, he said, well, they were involved in, in the struggle. I said, well, they're a Republican family. He said, extremely. So there's radicalism coming through here. So I'm delighted to have along here, not Father Iggy Clark, but Father Iggy O'Donovan. And what I'd like to do now is we're looking down on the Glen. Will you point out where you came from? where we are standing here at the Christ the King Monument, which your listeners will probably be familiar with, about looking straight across at Galtimore, about two miles from where we stand as the crow flies, is where I was born and brought up in a little spot called Munabula. Oh, beautiful. Yes. What are your memories growing up there then, Father Iggy? Ironically, one of the things we had going to school, because we walked three miles to Lisfranan, is that where we lived up in Munabula, at the foot of the Galtis, it was sort of the back of beyonds if you like, where yeah. our father kept sheep and that, but was up in the mountains and almost primitive, almost, you might think. So, but uh, looking back on it, now I look on it as idyllic. It wasn't so idyllic then, nor was the primary school for that matter. Tell me then, we're used to talking to you on the show. We love having you on the show, of course. You're a regular guest on it uh, for your thoughts on, on theology and philosophy and religion. But like John said, we never really, you never give us any hint of your kind of your, your interest in Irish history and republicanism. Tell us about where that inspiration came from or where that love comes from and how your family was so entrenched in it. Growing up in the Glen, I would have heard many 
many of the old stories like them. The Glen was, if you like, saturated in the old story of the War of Independence yeah. and uh, probably even more so the Civil War, which was even more tragic in the Glen than in many places, in that the actual physical losses of some great Republicans was much higher in the Civil War than it had been in the Black and Tan War, another story. But I would have heard of all of that. Later, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to UCD where I specialised in history and... Uh, as a member of the church, which I was, the Augustinian Order, I um, was teaching history for many years. And so my, my training in, in initially was as a historian, more than a theologian, and some would say uh, you should have stuck with the history. <laughs> yeah, can, can I pop in here, though? You actually, you know, I, you always think of people going into the church and they're almost grabbed out of school and they have no other experience. You went to UCD, you studied history. UCD, I would say, in the 70s was a hot bar bed of liberalism and yet I would say then in the late 70s I understand you went into the seminary and the church was hardly what you call it you I think have progressive views the church hardly had progressive views then I'm wondering like you were the last person I expect to go in what attracted you to the church I would say initially it was the Augustinian order when I met them in, the, in Dungarvan where yeah. I was in school and uh, above all, what attracted me was the, the missionary effort. In those days, the missioners, there was a great sense of pride in Ireland in our missioners in those days. Young people would probably not know what I'm talking about now, but they were seen as, um, if you like, they were the um, special forces on the frontier. Yeah. They, they were. And the idea was to go and work in, go, to join the church, go and work in Africa and all of this, this sense of adventure. As it turned out, I joined the Augustinians, was trained as a historian and so forth, and they put me teaching history where, and I was very happy doing it. So um, apart from some years in Rome and places like that, most of my time has been in Ireland, mainly in Drogheda and New Ross, teaching history. And uh, I was very fortunate to have been sent to UCD. Now, this sounds like name-dropping, but two of the guys who were in my class, one of them would be better known as a writer now, uh, Roddy Doyle. Really? And the other better known as a journalist, Fintan O'Toole. Wow. And neither of them corrupted with piety, I can assure you. <laughs> but it was with people... You probably didn't corrupt them with piety <laughs> either at yeah. that stage. But um, I was in groups like the Irish, Irish Council for Civil Liberties and groups like that, Amnesty International, I was a member of, of course, the History Society and so forth. So I was very exposed, if you like, to life as life is lived. And uh, one of the things I've always taught that the church needs to do is to be somehow be able to be identified and adapt itself to modernity. Mm. And it's a tough battle because <laughs> by our very nature, churchmen are conser and women are conservative. But um, the Augustinians have been pretty tolerant of me and I'm still here, pretty much having done a lot of my own thing. Yeah. And um, so uh, at the moment then I've, I'm back for the first time in 40 years or so, back in my own county, and uh, I'm now working out a feathered over at the foot of Shliam Naman. Yeah. And we're glad to have you back in the home soil, all yeah. right. When it comes to your interest in Irish history then, because I think what we've discovered through the Walks and Talks series is there are so many local stories that, had we not discovered them as part of Walks and Talks, they could be forgotten in history. Would you have those kind of fears as well, that those small stories that have huge significance in the whole context of Irish history that a lot of them have been forgotten. Well, one of the things that gives me great hope at the moment is that this is the study of local history. It's happening. Historical societies and so forth have spr springing up everywhere. 
And one of the great things about the internet, which may have its drawbacks, but one of the great things about it is that the amount of information that is now available. And you take something like the um, military archives mm. and, say, the old IRA pensions and the applications for the old IRA pensions and the stories that fellows submitted about their adventures or alleged adventures tells us an awful lot and it has opened up the whole thing of local history in a way that could never have happened before. And besides, all history in some ways is local. We're all the centre of our own universe. And um, we can talk forever about um, Iraq or Ukraine or whatever, but really it's the for me, it was the troubles in the Glen that are the local real history. Because John has often said that before as well, that there was this fear of bringing it all up. And it, it's only in the last few years that people have had either the bravery or the ability to be able to talk about some of those stories. Is that something you would agree with? Absolutely. You see, I think anybody of a younger generation now, I think, would find it almost difficult to um, conceive of the atmosphere, say, created by the Irish Civil War, which lasted only 10 months. 10 months. But its fallout lasted almost 100 years. Certainly 50 50 years ago, uh, when we were doing the the, the 50th anniversary, the centenary we're doing now, you think of it that Mr De Valera was still president. And uh, many of his colleagues in that were still around, like Frank Aiken and others. And they were Civil War names. And while for some people, uh, Dave could have been the fourth member of the Trinity, giving the Sacred Heart a run for his money, for others, he was the devil incarnate, the worst possible traitor, as some would have seen him. And um, that feeling was there. Also, the Civil War, of course, there were stories about who collaborated, who didn't, who, the word informer, my God, that had a connotation that goes beyond being a, a, a Nazi or a fascist or anything else, or a black and tan, an informer. And there were still, say, families very much around who, who for rightly or wrongly, his names were associated with one adventure, who told on Dan Breen, who informed, who did this. That was still very much alive. And um, so that now has become more impersonal and I think maybe the younger people of today, to use that line from one of the old songs, they ask, what are they marching for? Yeah. It has moved on so much. But you think that there was too much deference to the clergy when you were growing up in Ireland, to the detriment of the church? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we had a hell of a lot of religion and a hell of a lot of Catholicism and probably a fairly low level of Christianity because it was an oppressive, cruel society. I think of looking back on it now, we say the whole area of censorship, where almost anything worth reading was banned. Somebody once put it that the list of banned books, up until the 1960s, was almost an index to the world's great literature. Yeah. You know, and uh, then, of course, anything to do that might have hinted that sexuality existed. I'm thinking now of even Walter Macken. I think of Brendan Behan. I think of uh, Frank O'Connor. These are names, all of whom fell foul of the censor. I mean, it was just incredible. It it was a narrow-minded, very incestuous society, very closed, very cruel in many ways. And then at the same time, it had its dark side. And uh, we we know only too well about that, that whereas morality was held up above all sexual morality. And then we discover later on, if you like, that the accountant 
was very much caught with his hand in the till. Yeah. And that's actually still the role you chose for yourself, but obviously you tried to bring about changing it. But you have said that, I once I think, now correct me if I'm wrong, that the institutional church is, has no future. Uh, and it has to radically alter itself. Am I correct there? I'm The institutional church, as we knew it in the 50s and 60s and even later, is all but gone. And you only have to glance at a, a church on a Sunday morning where you look again if you see natural dark hair anywhere. And it's, that is the fact. Nevertheless, at the same time, you look at other events such as we take um, funerals, bereavements... I think of the tragic incidents in Tipperary recently in Clonmel and in Cashel. We're only too well aware of that awful tragedies on the road. And where did the people look more than anywhere else? To their church. So it shows that it can have a positive role. But in many ways, we had a great brand. In many ways, we destroyed it because everything was was reduced, if you don't, down to one sin. A very, very narrow sexual morality and almost nothing else. And the day young people lost that sense of guilt and fear was the day that institution began to fold up. And in many ways, I'm glad of it. Can I finish by asking you something that's quite topical, particularly today, and that is the issue of the wolf tones and the furore around their popularity. Some are saying their recent popularity, but I think it's always been there. A lot of people saying that it's a show that young people are now moving more towards nationalism. Other people are saying it's it's a kind of anarchic um, view that young people are taking. What's your view on it? I suppose when you take the songs by the wolf tones, like the rifles of the IRA or whatever it might be, we don't take them as divine gospel. They're works of art. They're songs. As poems, probably very poor. <laughs> but nevertheless, um, when I stand here and look across at the Galtys and I think of the, the Galtie mountain boy, you know, which from the point of view of history is outrageous, some of the stuff in it and about crossing the Wicklow Mountains and all of that, yeah. which very few local IRA men from Tip did. <laughs> but nevertheless, it's, it's, it's rousing stuff and if, if we enjoy it as... Um, art, as poetry, as song but for God's sake don't take it as, um, we wouldn't take the story of Jack and the Beanstalk as literal history, don't take that as literal history, enjoy it as a good story and a good sing song John, it's uh, kind of sad to, to say that we're winding down on our walks and talks for uh. this year uh, we only have about two episodes I think left but we had to come to Arhalo, didn't we? We did, we absolutely did. But wasn't it a wonderful trip? Firstly, for the beauty of the area, which I never tire of. But as well as that, Father Iggy, wasn't he a breath of fresh air? I remember one time with another clergyman who probably wasn't quite as radical as Father Iggy, but was a bit radical, and he expressed some radical views, and he says, what do you think of that? And I said, what I think of that is you'll never be a bishop. And I think the problem with the church and everything else is if we had more people like Father Iggy who taught like he does, if we had those in the hierarchy, then there would be a much stronger future. But that is, it's the, still, I think, the conservative people come out, come out at the front and the foot soldiers who are out there and understand it all. I think Father Iggy has been wonderful because not only does he talk very coherently about the church, but he understands the historical background and he understands people as well as that and that things aren't black and white in life. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was always black and white. There was always a sin and you go to hell. Things aren't black and white. And I just love that about Father Yee. 
And that's John Diodoir speaking to Ali there and uh, their special guest on this week's uh, walk, uh, Walks and Talks, uh, Father Iggy O'Donovan there as well. Uh, listen, Ron, taking a little bit of an issue with uh, Thomas Conway, Thomas who does our uh, global politics slot, uh, saying if the US has invasion troops in Syria at the moment. Does your analyst believe that the athletes should com- compete under a neutral flag? And that's making reference to uh, Thomas's uh, story there about um, um, in, in France for the Olympics that the Russians, the Russian athletes won't be able to uh, fly the Russian flag. And I suppose the difference, is, let me be devil's advocate on this, and I suppose the difference is um, that uh, the American troops would see themselves in Syria as curbing uh, terrorism, I suppose, in their fight against um, ISIS or Islamic State or whatever. But maybe maybe you still disagree with us on that. But isn't that the nature of discussion and one thing and another? We'll take a break. We'll be right back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery's Garage. Neil Dennehy is a neuromuscular physical therapist, health and uh, fitness instructor and author of the book What to Do with Stardust. And he's with me once again in the studio. Good morning to you, Neil. Hi, Frank. Good to see you. You're going to talk to us today about the spine and spinal issues of course, the spine—it's—it's it's vital. Isn't it? It's vital to us, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's what connects the brain to the body. Yeah. So without the spine and healthy spine function, there's lots of things that can go wrong. Um, I might start by just giving a, a little rundown of the spine and the makeup of yeah. it. Something we don't often think about. We all have one, but we don't really think about what's going on in there unless we have pain or stiffness. You sure. Know? Yeah. Um, so on the inside, we have the spinal cord. And of course, the spinal cord is what connects the brain to the, the rest of the nerves throughout the body. And, and that's carrying signals from the body to the brain. So everything you feel, you know, you feel in that chair that you're sitting on right now or a coolness of the air or touch pressure. Um, that's information coming from your sensory nerves through the body up to your brain or even information coming from your organs. You know, there's digestive um, systems there working away without us even paying any attention of or having any awareness. And that's because is information going from the, these other systems in the body to the brain and then the brain decides okay what do we need to do and it sends information back out you know yes. to tell them what to do tell the heart to beat tell the lungs to or the diaphragm to pull to breathe and so on and so on and all that information has been carried through the spinal cord and then the spinal cord has little nerve roots that come out, out at every level between the bones between the vertebrae and that's how they reach the rest of the body So around that then we have uh, a spinal fluid and that spinal fluid is really important because that spinal fluid nourishes the spinal cord and actually it's cerebrospinal fluid really, it nourishes the brain as well, that's all connected that fluid and that fluid's job is to make sure that the, um, the spinal cord is able to carry the signals as effectively as possible. You know, it keeps that environment really, really healthy so that the, the nerve sing- signals, the nerve impulses run really well. And of course, if they run well, we can feel everything that we should feel. We get all the information we need to get from the body and we can send out the instructions from the brain. But if that fluid flow is affected, 
that's going to change things. And they've even found that people can have brain fog as a result of um, issues with the flow of spinal fluid wow. or, or even degeneration of brain tissue, they're saying now, because it's not just, it's the nourishing of it, but it's also the waste disposal. Because when your brain is working, mm. it's um, it's generating energy. And of course, there's waste products, just like there is in our muscle tissue. There's waste in any process in the body. And that waste has to be removed. So if waste starts to build up, that'll affect brain so, function. So it affects where dementia is concerned. For, it could for do, example. yeah. It, well. it can do. It is It is tied to it. And oftentimes it's more in the cervical area. So mm. so just to give a bit more of the makeup mm. and it'll all fit together. So we, we have 33 bones in the spine. We have the cervical section at the top and we call that the neck. And it curves one way. And mm-hmm. then we have the thoracic, which are the ones all connected to the ribs and they curve the other way. And then we have the lumbar, which curves back the same way as the cervical does. They're lower, uh, that five. And then we have the sacrum, which is the centre of the pelvis at the bottom. And those bones, their job is to protect the spinal cord. So that those bones, they, they give us a structure, they give us a framework, but they also uh, surround the spinal cord and they leave, leave just enough room inside them for the spinal cord to run down and the fluid around it and for the nerve roots to come out of the spine. So you got to think of it as a movable um protection like a movable rod almost that allows us to hold ourselves upright that allows us to bend twist and turn each one just moves a little bit one on top of the next but at the same time it's fully protective it's a protective casing for the spinal cord and the spinal fluid and these natural curves in the spine when when the spine is in that position there's there's enough room for the spinal cord to send its information without impingement and also for the spinal fluid to flow but if our posture or alignment starts to shift out so if we get curvatures excessive curvatures or straightening of the spine where it's not supposed to be straight that's going to impinge on that space inside if you imagine a hose pipe a flexible Mm. hose pipe a rubber hose pipe and you start to put a kink in it you're not going to get the same flow of water through and the result of that then is the result of that then is you don't have your your easy spinal fluid to nourish the spinal cord, to nourish the brain and to carry waste products from the brain out to be to be eliminated from the body. So so what does that look like? Uh, you've heard the term scoliosis. Mm-hmm. So scoliosis yes. is the most common term you'll hear for, for spinal cur- curvature. Curvature, curvature yes. of the spine. Yeah. But really there are three forms of curvatures of, or misalignment. Scoliosis um, would be observed if you looked at somebody face on or from the back and they've got a side bend somewhere so maybe one shoulder is right down compared to the other which means they have a curvature maybe in the thoracic the middle area um, or the head is off to one side or sometimes both maybe a bit of a twist with it it depends on on, on the situation so that's the one people talk about a lot but there's two other types that are much more prevalent and that's kyphosis and lordosis so kyphosis is when you have a hunch Technically, it's not scoliosis, but it is curvature Mm. of the spine. And when people have a a curvature, a hunchback type curvature, what they tend to get is a lordosis in the neck as well. So as their their mid, we'll say, back bends forward, they're not going to go around with their heads looking down at the ground. So the head comes back. And if you put the head back, you get a pinching here in the neck. And that really interferes with spinal fluid flow and it can affect uh, the discs so we have the discs between the bones people hear of slip discs but there's no such thing as a slip disc but they can flatten and bulge and if they bulge and press into that area they can press on the spinal cord or they and 
and or or really it's and they can affect the fluid flow that's like your little kink in mm. the pipe with an extra piece pushing in so these can trap down nerves and we, we've talked about that before um in fact i've had quite a few people come in through our talk on on headaches who got, has gotten great relief from serious serious migraines you know huge relief so thanks for having me on to talk because no they wouldn't problem. have known about it otherwise well, well you helped my headaches with, yeah. with you know cervical issues as well exactly know, by releasing the neck yeah. we, we help yeah. to take the pressure off. and again that's spinal isn't it that's, that's spinal brilliant. absolutely the neck is is the upper spine we, yeah. we call it the neck the upper back and the lower back but right. really it's spine spine and spine just different sections of it so yeah issues in the spine in the cervical area can cause headaches through nerve impingement because uh, those nerves run around the head they can affect blood flow to the brain because we have um, we have veins and arteries of course going through the neck so mm. if that positioning is off you know there's going to be impingement it mightn't block it completely but it can be enough to just pinch in on it and slow down the flow so people are going around with headaches with brain fog with just general discomfort it can be even just a difficulty in concentrating and you know just feeling off not mm. feeling quite right and then you, you work on these areas and you release the tension and you get that flow back and suddenly mm. they're just they're, they're standing and, taller and most of us Neil wouldn't think that the spine could possibly be related to those kind of issues. No, yeah. no, no. We forget that everything is connected yeah, in the body. Yeah, everything is connected. We've all these different systems, but they're not individual systems. We, you know, they're on charts and they look different because it's the only way you can yeah, display yeah. them. But really, you have to think about the knock-on, and that's where holistic, a holistic approach is is really the only way that makes sense. You have to think: how does this affect that? Connect to that? Affect that? And try to put them all together as as much as you can. So, how are we damaging the spine then? What what are we doing that could be giving us the kind of issues that you describe? Yeah, there's a couple of big things really. So, physical activity. If we're if we're lifting heavy loads, um, that's a big one. And, and in the past, that was a bigger issue because we didn't have so much health and safety rules. Um, so, you had people lifting fifty kilo bags and sometimes eighty or hundred yeah. kilo bags. And you know, you don't. We haven't seen that for quite a while. That the, the official yeah. limit is supposed to be twenty kilos now. Right. Twenty five. So would have been coal men and yeah. you know people selling cement Builders, and the like. And but all even that. the yeah. farms, they'd be carrying big course, bags yeah. of grain and and turf and big um, bales of hay and you know lots of things like that. So so the weight of an object makes a difference because you can imagine this the spine itself is like a spring and it's designed to be a spring. Mm. Of course, the more weight you put on a spring, the more it's going to flex and contract down, and that's going to affect that movement in between and put pressure on those discs. You know, so we should only lift certain weights, and then of course we should lift with good technique. Mm. Um, a lot of people don't know how to lift mm. good technique, I know. Yeah. And, and and to be fair to all the gyms and the gym instructors around, that's what they're teaching people. They're teaching people how to lift effectively. And even in my own programs, like the Be Well program, the focus on that is movement, teaching people how to move, do easy move, movements, twist exercise, side side bends to help to release the tightness through the spine and get that spring back. Mm. Um, but I always start by teaching people how to stand up, you know, which is, is really funny for people because I could have a group average 60 years old, you know, you could have a total of a thousand years plus. How to stand up? How to stand from, up. From a sitting position, obviously. Yeah, well, we do that too, but even w- without coming up from a sitting position, how to stand and how to sit. I think we did that here before, mm, did we? Yeah, yeah. We reminded people never to sit on your backside, you should sit on your thighs. Yeah. Because if you sit on your backside, and if anyone at home wants to try it, you get this curve, you get this, uh, you slouch. Yeah, I'm conscious of the way I'm sitting at the moment, which is yeah, disastrous. And, and you'll adjust it. I'm all to one side here as well. Yeah, yeah. as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're not going to be too long yeah. like that, but we can sit 
too much slouch down the chair. So you slide your hips back into a chair, sit on your thighs and then allow the crown of the head to rise up. And when you do that, that moves everything back into its best alignment possible. Right. You know, and initially it takes a little bit of concentration and you forget. But then after a while, it becomes your norm if you practice it. But I'm just thinking, I mean, most chairs, most so-called comfortable chairs are not conducive to good spinal not health. Yeah, because yeah, you're thrown off in them. And yeah. You're yeah, they should have a lumbar support. I'm looking at your chair like there this now. One, and yeah. that's this actually is actually excellent. This is a relatively new chair and that's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I, I can find see, it great. I, I can see that there because yeah. it curves inwards in your lower back to give you that support there. And you have an adjustable headpiece yeah. as well. It's probably all adjustable. I saw one online the other day and it, it had something like 14 movable parts. So you could right. really adjust everything um the thing is most of us don't really need that we have the capacity within ourselves to sit and hold ourselves right we just yes. have to be aware first and foremost and then maybe practice or do some exercises to relieve tension mm-hmm. oftentimes people need to come for, for some therapy on these things because when your muscles get too tight they won't allow you to hold yourself in the right alignment. But I presume you've seen people who, you know, might have suffered because of this for a considerable length of time, but once they're released in some way, it's a new lease of life, is it? Absolutely. I had a a girl a few years ago and it was after a fall in her case now, so that's another thing Mm. that can knock you offline. She she, she had a fall and she couldn't take a deep breath for two and a half, three years at the time and she'd been through all the different scans looking inside, you know, which you would. You know, she had yeah. she had the lungs checked. She had everything checked, and even the MRI scan on the spine. But it wasn't um, it wasn't that there was damage done. It was just that she was out of alignment, and the muscle spasmed around her her spine. So once we released the muscles and and, and uh, elongated the spine again, where it had been contracted and compounded, you know, she got off the bed and she took a deep breath and said, "I can breathe." That's the first time in two God, three that was years. Really incredible, yeah. You know, but. That's how it often works. And it's the same with headaches, vertigo. I treat vertigo a lot. People going around with balance issues because, you know, our our balance centers are affected by neck alignment uh, on top of the pain, of course, you know, back pain. Isn't it it very interesting indeed? Mm. The the complexity of it all, though, I'm always amazed that, you know, that everything is inter interrelated in some way yeah, you know, that's, yeah that's amazing if people want to talk to you and uh, maybe make an appointment with you as well Neil how, how can they do that yeah, the number is 087 629 3729 and the website is highestpotential.ie if they want to see some more info there very good so that number again is 087 629 3729 yeah. okay and if you're still rooting around for a Pion Louis, um, Emma has that uh, that number for you as well. All right, Neil, great to see you, and I'm I'm going to sit properly yeah. now. Thank, thank you very much, Neil, for that. Thanks, we'll take Frank. a break. Back in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. And just to remind you that the Irish Blood Transfusion Service there at the Scouts Hall in Nina for four days this week, and uh, they're telling us that all blood types are welcome, but there's a particular need for all type negative bloods at the moment. So that's O negative, B negative and AB negative, especially they tell us they have a need for O negative uh, there. And um, as I say, they're in Nina for four days this week. And if you want to make an appointment uh, to see them there, uh, the number is 1800 222 111. So that's 1800 222 111 for appointments. 
All right then, time to move on with this. Yeah, so we can we can look at a number of elements of it and, and as the, the climate spokesperson have specific responsibility for policy, policy development in the energy area, in the retrofit area, contribute to our transport policy development, uh, some of the, the land use uh, and, and agriculture pieces. But uh, I, I think when I look at my own portfolio in terms of energy, it is that question of we've got this spectacular opportunity. You've heard people say that we could be the, you know, the the Saudi Arabia of wind. Um, like for a country to be, and I know Mary Lou Macdonald is ambitious for, for we all are for for Irish unity, but also for energy independence and security. You know, there's there's other countries. I met with the Danish ambassador early this week, and he talked about how in the the early 1970s they said we want to be energy independent. And they've achieved that. We can do the same with offshore wind off the Atlantic coast. We can also ensure that, you know, communities are, have have ownership of that that energy infrastructure. That you know, whether it be in terms of solar, solar on on um, you know houses, on buildings, on schools, on you know nursing homes, on farm sheds. There's you know that people can be generating their own electricity, be self-sufficient, but also making some money out of it in terms of contributing to the grid. So we need this integrated grid that's that's flexible, um, but also I think really importantly that is largely state-owned, community-owned. You know, we looked at the recent energy auctions, for example, and there wasn't you know a, an Irish winner in in that auction. So for us, you know, I think it is important to recognise that look, we need uh, uh, private players in this in this field. We, you know, private capital will be important, but how do we maximise the role of state agencies, the role of communities, and to really get the benefit of this rather than you know huge profits been siphoned off and and uh, uh, and being exported and at the same time I think really importantly reducing the cost of electricity to, to customers um, because we've got the the highest electricity costs in Europe uh, families are paying on average thousand euros more than their, their European counterparts and that's simply wrong and something that needs to be addressed so that's that's the energy piece in terms of of retrofitting um, you know we have a retrofitting scheme there and we've been critical of the government scheme saying that you know the vast amount of people either can't afford it if it's the the one-stop shop scheme um, haven't got the upfront money or they're excluded from the, the the free scheme from from government the warmer home scheme so we need a a, a fairer retrofit scheme and we've published policy in relation to that um, uh, that you know is ambitious retrofits homes you know we need, we need a targeted scheme for people who are in solid fuels for example um so, so so there's 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 improvements that can be made there and then the the other area i think is really important is is public transport you know it's an absolute no-brainer i think communities the length and breadth of ireland are looking for improved public transport they will use it if it is there whether it's in terms of rail whether it's in terms of buses um whether it's in terms of school bus transport i know that's always a, an issue uh, uh, right across the country it shouldn't be people putting their hand up saying i want to use public transport and being left at the side of the road just it's it's an absolute you know it's a criminal sin uh, for a number of reasons not least the, the the impact on the on on the climate and the environment so um we've 
fully cost proposals to be ambitious in terms of the rollout of of, uh, of expanded public transport services. And I think, you know, uh, a lot of the the climate uh, um, debate can be fractious and uh, I think an awful lot of it is because the way it's designed by government and it's punitive and it's built on the back of, of punitive taxes. Actually, there's huge opportunity there in terms of, you know, uh, community-owned energy, state-owned energy, return on dividends for, 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 for the state and also warmer homes, better public transport, better work-life balance. They're all consistent with a, with a, a you know, a sustainable future and I think that's the way any progressive government should be should be talking about, thinking about, and, and delivering on on this. You know, and one thing you mentioned there, and it's like something I'm interested in in terms of it's. And I think you might have mentioned it's a no-brainer in terms of rail system. Like mm. it's mm. a very energy efficient way of yeah. travelling around, and it's probably improved drastically in the last fifty years in terms of efficiency. But like we have. We had a better rail network, I think, in Ireland maybe 100 years ago than, than we do now in terms of how interconnected the country was through rail. But that that has to be one of the priorities, surely, getting a good rail system in. And it, it takes cars off the road. It, there's so many benefits to it. Like. 100%. I absolutely agree. And I think there's a couple of things there. You know, we have the, the recently published All-Ireland Strategic Rail Review. Um, and we have the National Development Plan. We've got the Greater Dublin Area Transport uh, Strategy. I'm sure we have uh, similar regional plans uh, right across the country. The difficulty with so much of it is that it's, you know, it's it's on paper and it, it, it does and get delivered. I think there's a, a couple of things. One, we need a mindset shift within the National Transport Authority. Um, they have a, a fairly limited remit in terms of, of rail services. I think um, we need to look at the, the opportunity of rail. Often, you know, it, there's a comparison between the, the bus, public bus and, and public rail. There is no comparison. They're both public transport and fairness, but ask anybody, you know, who's taking the bus every day compared to taking the train every day, the comfort, the reliability, the punctuality, there is no comparison. So for us to be, um, I think, really serious about achieving a shift from the private car to public transport, we need to be serious about the rollout, rollout of rail. And we are, as a party... Um, I uh, was spokesperson for transport. Martin Kenny, my colleague in, in Leithram, is now. We've got clear proposals in terms of improving the, the existing network, but also expanding it in a very significant way um, into the regions uh, to, to ensure. Because what you want is to ensure that... Um, that, 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 that people can rely on it that is available and accessible and affordable to them to ensure that, that uh, 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 you know, I, I'm certain that when it's there and it's proven, when it's there, they, they will use it. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of the economics of it, the the possibility of, of freight and, again, connected with that energy piece in terms of, of energy infrastructure, just the, the economics uh, of of rail has completely shifted. And as, as you said, you know, uh, I think there's a, a, a Twitter account that publishes that map on a daily basis of the, the Irish Rail Network mm. in, in 1922 compared to 2022, 2023. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's um, uh, I think... The, the dismantling of the, the rail network um, was probably uh, at a time when thinking was very different. Um, I think we need to we need to go back to that and, and significantly improve our, our rail uh, our, 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 our rail services and our rail network. 
And that's the Sinn Féin spokesperson for climate action and the environment, uh, Darren O'Rourke, there speaking to our own uh, Paul Carroll. And that is ours to protect and it's broadcast uh, on the programme here every single Monday. It's a collaboration of local and regional broadcasters from across the country who have come together to tackle climate change, champion climate action and inform and educate audiences all over Ireland about how they can make a difference. A listener on to us uh, to say the Mullinahone Tidy Towns Committee members do a great job and they do great work to keep the village tidy. But this morning, uh, the car park across from the church was littered with cans and all sorts of rubbish there as well. Well, the people involved in Tidy Towns that have uh, my admiration all the time for the work they carry out and it must be very frustrating for them at times, that's for for sure. That's it for me, Emma produced and uh, Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel. I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll kick off the programme tomorrow with Hall Martin from the Horse and Jockey. Look after yourselves in the meantime, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.